ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Hey, welcome. It's Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. The uh, only podcast hosted by me, Sam, well, the only wrestling podcast, I guess, hosted by me, Primetime Sam Roberts. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm happy to have you here. I'm happy that so many of you downloaded the Survivor Series recap. It's always good when a pay-per-view ends. I have to wake up early. I do a morning show every morning. But when I have so much energy after watching a pay-per-view and when Twitter has me in such a frenzy that I have to get online that I have to make my voice heard. I have to, I can't wait. I have to cut a podcast immediately. It's usually a good sign. Even if it's to trash everything I've just seen, I don't know. At least I probably wouldn't cut a podcast just to trash things. That's not really in the spirit of what we do here, is it? But generally speaking, if something motivates me to have to record an emergency podcast, especially if it's not an injury, it's probably not that bad of a thing, and we'll talk about that because uh, there's still a lot of Survivor Series fallout to talk about, uh, and well, there's a lot to talk about in the world of wrestling. Happy Thanksgiving. If you're downloading this the day it com- com- came out, it's Thanksgiving morning or Thanksgiving Eve, if you're really early, but uh, Thanksgiving means a lot to me as a wrestling fan. I have many memories of Survivor Series, first and foremost. When Survivor Series was the Thanksgiving Eve tradition, and every Thanksgiving Eve, Wednesday night is when it used to be on, and you'd sit there and you'd watch the Survivor Series, and your whole family would be around, and you knew you had the day off school tomorrow. It was all, it was amazing, amazing. That's when uh, you'd have, like, like I, I think, I know the 93 Survivor Series was a Thanksgiving Eve Survivor Series. I don't know if it shifted after that, or how many after that it shifted. But I distinctly remember watching the 93 Survivor Series. I remember even then. I was a little smart mark back then. Watching Macho Man Randy Savage in the opening match going, What is going on? You're burying Macho Man. <laughs> like 10 years old. <laughs> that was the Survivor Series where The Undertaker had the American flag liner in his trench coat. Just so wonderfully bizarre. I'll never forget that show. It wasn't the WWE's finest moment, but it's the stuff I grew up on. So you look back on it with a, a lens that is very, very coated in nostalgia. And it makes everything a little easier to take in. Uh, Thanksgiving doesn't just remind me of Survivor Series, though. Survivor Series is on a Sunday now, like every other pay-per-view. It's not always the Sunday before Thanksgiving. It usually is, but it's not always. And it's not marketed necessarily as a Thanksgiving tradition as much as it used to be. Because, you know, back in the territory days, back in the old days of wrestling, Thanksgiving night, Christmas night, those holiday evenings were big money for wrestling shows. Because the theory was, and it turned out to be true, that everybody had the day off after, the day after Thanksgiving off, everybody had the day after Christmas off, and all your family stuff got done during the day. Nobody ever had plans. Christmas night, Thanksgiving night, da-da-da. So what did you do? You'd put on a wrestling show, and you'd get a, a, a giant audience for it. And they that's, that's I think, 
where the the Survivor Series Thanksgiving tradition really comes from is that way of thinking. Obviously, that's changed over the course of years, mainly because if you're, you know, the only big wrestling show in town is WWE, uh, so they've been able to reset the rules. But I think that's where the tradition comes from. But the the reason that Thanksgiving as a wrestling-related holiday stays alive for me is because a couple of Thanksgivings ago, I remember sitting on my couch as my wife was getting some food together and watching the Thanksgiving parade. And I remember staring at the Thanksgiving Day parade. But the Thanksgiving Day parade was not what I heard in my ears, no. Because what was running through my ears, through some headphones, because my wife wanted to watch the parade, was the biggest pro wrestling podcast that has ever been published. And that was the Colt Cabana CM Punk podcast, the the most controversial uh, wrestling podcast ever published too. And I think that uh, more so than it being hugely revealing and and, uh, sort of unprecedentedly candid, especially for a guy like CM Punk who had had just come from WWE. It wasn't like it was years later and nobody cared. Uh, I think even more was the testament to podcasting in general because that show, to me anyway, really displayed how many people a podcast can hit. To me, that show, at the time, it was about, you know, all the all the gossip and information that had come from it, of course. It was also about hearing CM Punk's side of the story and why a guy who had dreamed of becoming a professional wrestler forever would leave WWE when he had a main event spot. All that, the curiosity factor was there, huge. But as I, as I think about it now, in 2016... What really gets me is the amount of people who heard about it. The Monday after Thanksgiving, we're all back at work. And honestly, even non-wrestling fans, even guys that stopped watching wrestling after the Attitude Era, were coming up to me and saying, did you hear about the CM Punk podcast? I read the transcript. I did this. I was I was thinking about it. It was, it was like, you don't need to jump onto 60 Minutes. You don't need to do any of this stuff to hit an audience anymore. Podcasting has become mainstream enough. That if you're talking to the right person and you have the right thing to say and you hit on something that people are interested in, you can have just as big an audience and you can make just as big of an impact uh, as you can through any other source of media. And that's why my guest this week is Colt Cabana. I think the things that Colt Cabana have done for podcasting, for wrestling podcasting, uh, for the way DIY people look at themselves and continue to look at themselves and continue to work is kind of huge. Kind of huge. I think that Colt does things in a way that a lot of people would not do. Number one, they don't have the work ethic. Number two, it doesn't uh, satiate their ego enough. But Colt Cabana doesn't appear to operate from a place of ego. Colt Cabana still is operating from a place of doing something that he feels passionate about. And would he do the work for free? At this point, probably not. At this point, financially, he's well rewarded for what he does. But that's not an accident, and that's not luck. That's because he did it for so long without being financially rewarded. That's because he started his podcast, and and his podcast 
is is the greatest thing that has ever happened to people like me and the rest of us fans that do wrestling podcasts because Colt, as somebody, as a wrestler within the industry talking to other wrestlers, uh, brought a legitimacy and, and, and brought a huge audience to wrestling podcasts. And I'm sure that there have been thousands of people that downloaded Colt Cabana's podcast then said, oh, I, I like this. I like listening to wrestling-related stuff. What else is out there? And that's how they found Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. It's good news for everybody when anybody can succeed to the level that Colt has, not only with his podcast, but with his, with his merchandise, with the movies that he puts out, with his wrestling, everything. He's created a package that a lot of people have not been able to do. Uh, the Wrestling Road Diaries Part 3 is the new movie that Colt Cabana has put together. You can get it uh, at coltmerch.com via DVD or digital copy. I believe he's still got some signed copies that are available at no extra charge. It's the first however many are going to get autographed copies. Uh, and it's a great exploration, and we'll talk about this, into the world of comedy wrestling. You know, I'm a big fan of the last two Wrestling Road Diaries. Colt's done a lot of, a lot of things to bring a lot of people into wrestling. And it's, it's, it's a really interesting story to tell. Um, and so I'm super happy that Colt Cabana is my guest this week. It's something I've wanted to do for a long time. I've known Colt for a while. We were just waiting for the right opportunity uh, to, to record one of the many conversations that we've had. So we figured with the new movie out, it would be a great time to tell people about it and for Colt to jump on. Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, and I said to him when I talked to him, and I just, it, I just talked to him over the weekend. This isn't like I've been sitting on this interview. I said to him, Colt, I'm dropping it on Thanksgiving Eve. <laughs> you know, he, he, he doesn't want that podcast to define him. And you'll hear as we talk about how it wasn't the greatest thing in the world for his numbers either. But I think, controversies aside, what it did for podcasting in terms of the impact that it can have on an audience uh, goes without saying, even though I've already said it twice. So here he is, first time on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, uh, Colt Cabana, boom, boom, Colt Cabana, it's Colt Cabana. And now, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. Here we are, not in the studio apartment but in it's in a residence yeah well i mean if there's video here we can kind of just it's we can do a mock studio apartment yeah colt cabana has finally made it to sam roberts wrestling yeah, podcast nice i feel to like be it's on. been a long time coming it has been a long time coming i'm glad you're here i'm glad to be here yes yes uh you started this game i think for all of us mm, well for wrestling wise Oh, the, I started res the wrestling game? I know, yeah, yeah, there was no real professional wrestling before. It's true. Before Colt Cabana, you know? But also as a, as a radio guy, for you, it's like, how dare I say I started this game? You know, I guess. But, like, I was interviewing wrestlers, and I was aware of, like, Mark Marin and that sort of trend of, like, comedians interviewing comedians. And I just never put two and two together that that could... Yeah. Just be niched right in. It's it is interesting though because like when I was interviewing wrestlers in the beginning, like for the radio show, it was always like, let me see how I can kind of ask a goofy question or work this in or whatever. And it wasn't until I started just doing 
questions that I was interested in as a wrestling fan and just putting them on YouTube, mm-hmm. that things started to kind of get rolling because the wrestling fans were like, yeah, this is, this is what I was looking for. That was when? That was like... Before or, my, was or before, after mine? No, it was, it was before your podcast for sure. Um, but it was just for YouTube. Gotcha. And then, and then the, but I didn't, I didn't think to do it. You still didn't put it together. I still didn't put it together. I was like, what's the outlet? I guess just YouTube. (laughs) Right. And then once your podcast came out, I was like, huh, Hmm. there's something there. Yeah. When I, that was the first thing I thought when like, "Ah, man, so especially Mary, I'm trying to think of the ones that I really like, but even there's ones that I don't even listen to now, but it was just like, there was such a small list of podcasts at the time. And again, for you as radio, you know, like you don't want to harp on radio, but it just makes so much sense now that, like, yeah, yeah, if you love a show, you want to listen to it whenever you can. Sometimes you don't get up in the morning. Right. So, like, it's not that, you know, in my head, radio is just, like, not what it's for. But, you know, when I would go to school, it was, I would hear the same show every morning. Yeah. Those commuters, they, they know they have those people. But when I became a non-commuter, when I became a commuter on an airplane, you know, from wrestling. Right. Yeah, that's why, I mean, I wouldn't have any – if Sirius, like, Sirius has the app where you can listen to shows on demand – like if they didn't have that, I wouldn't have any faith in the future of it because mm-hmm. it's like people don't – even on television, like you, know, you can't dictate when somebody's going to watch anything anymore. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you just have to put it out there. Well, that's what I, I – when people when I originally started the podcast and people had no clue what a podcast was, I would say it's DVR for radio. Right. Which makes a lot of sense. Right. Because everyone DVRs TV. So yeah, oh, that's the next step is DVR for radio. It's also good for like niche content, like to talk – to do a show – about wrestling or whatever it is like people who share your interests will find you but like when you are broadcasting on radio you kind of have to cast this wide mm-hmm. net so that whoever just happens to be tuning in like we have to get as many of them as possible right i think the know? first podcast like when i start listening to podcasts and i start hearing that like this is a weird thing for niche people and i realized oh wrestling would fit right in is i think they were like there was a knitting one that got real huge. And I was like, and they were, you know, like, oh, the yeah. knitting community is really into this podcast. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, okay, I get it. I get it. Did you ever, like, there's a lot of, in wrestling, when guys do projects like that, like your podcast or whatever, like, there's this instinct to do something that's not wrestling. Like, you know, I just have to prove that I'm more than a wrestler. I don't want to mm-hmm. just talk about wrestling or blah, blah, blah. Was there ever any thought in your head to not and it's usually a mistake. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because you lose your entire audience. Yes. So was there any thought in your head to not do a wrestling thing, like to prove that you had more to you than that? Well, there's so many people now, even now, that you'll hear that, like, even wrestlers will be like, I hear that all the time. Wrestlers will be like, well, everyone's got a podcast, so I'm going to do mine about political talk. <laughs> and there's a couple that I've heard, and I'm just like, why? What you know is wrestling. Yeah. And so, like, I've luckily, I've always... I've just always known that that's like what I know the best. It's what it's that's my that's what I got. So like, why steer away from it? Yeah. And there is all those guys that like go and I don't know. Like you hear them like going into acting, and it's just like they they're trying to get away from wrestling. But it's like I I understand. I'm pretty, and I think the benefit of me or whatever is like pretty self aware. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like I get that. Like oh, I've built this audience about wrestling. It's not like there's some other audience that loves me out there or it's that easy to grab some other audience. Right, <laughs> yeah. right. And by the way, like it's almost disrespectful like if somebody came into wrestling and was like, "Well, I'm just going to grab an audience your size, but I'm going to do it like in a year and you whatever, you took 10 years, I understand." Yeah. But like I'm just going to do it right away. Mm-hmm. You'd be like, "No, you're not." It's all, God, I did this podcast. I, I I hosted the podcast Movement, mm-hmm. which is uh it was uh like a conference and an award show and 
the people I mean it was a great thing it was the, the first year was in Dallas the second year was in Chicago I hosted in Chicago this year and people are coming because they're like just trying to jump they hear the word podcast they're trying to jump in and a great and this one lady like I I, I was on um I was on a like four people, you ask questions. What's that called? A panel. Panel. <laughs> <laughs> That's for, this happens on my show a lot too. And like what people don't realize is like I'm a pro wrestler. Like I'm not like a dummy, but like I just, I've been dropped in my head a lot. So sometimes the words don't come out. Like right. it's really effective. Plus me. like and, – and I think pro wrestling has like its own language. So like words that you wouldn't – Normally use. Oh you know yeah, what I mean? maybe that's a word that I don't use a lot. Like you don't yeah. use panel. But you, you, if I, it was the gimmick table, I would know <laughs> exactly. That yeah. You know the four person deal with the gimmicks where you ask the question gimmicks. Oh yeah. god, it's yeah. true. And she and this girl came up and she's like, "I have a plan. I want to make fifty thousand dollars a month. I want to." And I was just like, "She's like, I need to know how much you can make on ads and how much you can do this. And I need to do it. I'm going to be the first six I was like, "Oh my god!" And then I, and then I started like talking about. I was like, "Well, do you know like Mark Maron's like he did this?" And she's like, "I don't know who that is." And I was just like, "Oh." Get it then. What are you doing? Like you just hear this word, yeah. And so I, that's I've heard what... podcasting is where you make money. People have come to me too, like even in radio, they'll be like, "You have a podcast too, right?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And they're like, well, "Are you making money?" And I'm like, "Well, uh, you know, I'm kind of starting to." Right. I'm like, and they're like, "Well, how do you do that?" And I'm like, "Well, number one, I'm 110 episodes in, and yeah. like it's just kind of starting to figure it out, but." I didn't start, and you've, I've eaten shit for years to try right. to gain this people who like me. Exactly. The yeah, the idea that I think people think that like you can just snap get an audience, right? Well, the trick wild. is getting on iTunes, right? Yeah, <laughs> there you go. That's the secret. Oh, <laughs> and you, and the, and the best part is like you, you, we, we almost have the same path. I mean, you have the path of of an an artist of whatever. In the same way of radio is that you started on the bottom and you, yeah. and then you were a sideman in a show that was big, but you were a little guy and you realized just like plug at it and plug at it and it will come. And so like, I mean, you know, the same, the same way that I built up my audience. Absolutely. Right. And that's what, you know, and we're, you know, one of the reasons you're doing the podcast is because, uh, Russell Road Diaries 3 is out. And one of the things that I loved, and I texted you like the first, within the first 10 minutes is that there's a scene where you and Grado, you guys walk into your apartment. And like when I saw that you had a big shelving unit and it's all the cult t-shirts yeah. that are on your website yeah. and it's like they're still coming from your apartment. Yeah. I'm like, that's it because I looked over. You didn't think. What did you think? I had a shipping service? I thought that it's possible because I see that. But at the same time, like I'm sure people think that about me. And I looked over in the corner of my room and saw all the Not Sam, oh, like, and right. Boo the Bad Guy t-shirts. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, he's still doing it. Yeah, but you have a wife to be like, do we have to live? Like, I have no money. <laughs> <so> like, <laughs> I call my own shots. <laughs> I could live like whatever scoundrel I want. Yeah. 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 And I, you know what? I get it. Like, there was an article that came out. Of, uh, I, I forgot. It was one of the bigger publications. And maybe it was the Rolling Stone or maybe it was like Chicago Reader. But it was just like, he does his own shipping. And it, there was a big one that said that. And that hit with a lot of people yeah that like i they were like i can't believe you sit and you do this from your home and a i don't know if there's a b but a um it's like i'm just home so like as a wrestler we can work friday saturday sunday and and one of the reasons i started my podcast and one of the reasons i try to do youtube stuff and one of the reasons i try to do acting and stuff is just like we have these four days off right and i want to be working i want to be like hey i'm a real person who works and I, I think that's one of the um, setbacks of a lot of wrestlers these days is they just expect to get booked and then they're just waiting to get – they're waiting for the weekend. Right. 
like they don't think that there's work. Like, yeah, you go to the gym, but they don't really think that they should be doing work or whatever. Because their job is they're, they're, they're wrestlers, yeah. and they wrestle on the weekends, right. and that's that's where the income should be coming in from, and right. that's where their time should be going to. And I just see these open days to be doing stuff, and like, yeah, like I call, it's the great, I can wake up whenever I want, but like, yeah, you know, we wake up, whatever, watch some TV, but do some work. Right. Hey, it's not hard to ship out some stuff. Yeah, <laughs> and, and it's not like you're saying like, yep, I wake up at a regimented time, I do 12 hours of work right. a day, but it, no, just, just do something. Do something, just yeah. Just do, like, know when you, went to, when you go to bed at night. You should be able to reflect back on the day and be like, I did something. Something, yeah. Something. The time is available. Right. It's there. Right. Otherwise, I just feel like I feel kind of shitty that I'm just sitting around. And a lot of a lot of wrestlers like that are lucky enough to do my schedule, and I don't say lucky enough because obviously they've worked to get there. Sure. But they will just, they'll be like, great, another free day, another day to just sit around. Then you do not, there's nothing to do. Right. So. And it's also like, it's it's a, I think it's also like protecting that that lifestyle can continue, right? Like it's, it's if the wrestling dries up. Mm-hmm. what happens then? Like you, you almost become – like you've earned this great schedule where you don't have to work during the week. But should that dry up for any reason or should you get injured or should anything happen, you know, you're dependent on the bookings. So once that dries up, all of a sudden this great lifestyle that you've set up for is totally gone because you didn't spend the other days. Right. Well, it, but it's also setting – by doing that, I'm setting up a precedent that I'm willing to put in the work because without – you know, I, that I, the work ethic is there. So I can't do yeah. something because I don't know if, the, if if I get hurt or or I I don't know. I, God forbid I become a paraplegic or, so, or whatever. I can't move. You know, yeah. if, if I can't wrestle, a lot of that, you know, a lot of that goes, I feel goes away. But I can change stuff to where, like, I have the work ethic to put out maybe something different. And I guess that's also, like, that's the – you have to adopt that psychology. So, like, when you – Achieve the dream, and story's been told a hundred times, but when you achieve the dream and you get the WWE job and it's not the dream job because you thought it was and mm-hmm. you got this goal that wrestlers are supposed to have, but it turned out to not be the goal when you got there and then it's over and you're like, okay, let me figure something else out. I guess that's that, that thing where you have to switch your brain and be like, I have to figure out how to make this other thing work and how to adapt my life into something else. That tool can be used elsewhere. Yeah, well, right. that that I mean that were you talking about me or no? Because that yeah, that, okay, yeah, totally that did totally. happen to me, right? Yes. But I didn't know. I mean, I I started the podcast, I started doing the Wrestling Road Diaries, but like I didn't like have this grand vision, right? But I knew that I did have. It's it's just nice how it all kind of morphed, and I think it morphed because I just worked hard and I like kept plugging and I kept yeah. trying to do stuff. And that's the thing, like the, there is no grand plan, right? There like, can be, but you usually don't. It's not like we said. It's it's so hard to just. Have that grand plan and just hit it, or like a five year. There's a there's a comedian Jimmy Card, you know him. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, so when I do the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in Scotland, I do it with a guy named Brendan Burns. Yeah, and he was telling me about Jimmy Carr's five year plan uh-huh. that he was like in like software, and he came into comedy, had a five year plan, like like it was business management, uh-huh. and uh, now he's one of the biggest guys on the. And he scene. achieved it. Actually, yeah, worked. Yeah, yeah, he did it. So that's maybe. crazy. <laughs> See, they, I'm I'm the same way as you. Though. Like I don't. And it's probably because I had those plans, and like I realized real quick that they, it wasn't working out. Right. And then you just adapt and move. And I just don't. I stopped believing in the sort of five year regimented plan, and more just in the do work, work a lot, work smart, and work on the things that you want to be working on. Mm-hmm. 
and that's the also key. become like become reliable. I yeah, think this is, uh, who was I? I was talking with somebody. Uh, it was just like, like maybe like a it was like a a video. They they were like camera. They were a camera guy. Maybe mm-hmm. it wasn't even in wrestling. But the guy was like, yeah, I, I've been doing this twenty five years. It's because you know, and he was the guy who went job to job to job. And it was like I'm reliable. I I don't I show up on time, and I've just built up this reputation that people know to use me because I'm I'm not right. a, I'm not a fuck up. Right. And so like if I went into wrestling and said I want to be the star of WrestleMania and I'm gonna cry if I'm not the star, you know, or whatever it might I'm be. Step on people to get there, and I'm, yeah. But it, that is up. That's not. It's kind of not up to you or me, right? It's yeah. like up to Vince McMahon. So like that fate isn't in our own hands. Yeah. Whereas like if you were like I want to be the number one guy on. WCIU or whatever right. it is. You know, like, <laughs> like, yeah, like you can make your moves to get there, but the reality is it's like it isn't. Like it's not It's not how the system works. You just work your way up and then all of a sudden I'm, I'm that slot. And you also have to like – you take ownership of what you have control over, which is not as much as you think it is. But like, like for instance, when I was doing the night show, I was like, is this the ideal time to be doing radio? Like no. Like it's not the biggest audience ever at 9 o'clock at night, but – all I can do at the moment is do the best possible show. Like, I can control the show. The three hours that I'm on the air is what I can control. So I'm going to do the best show, and hopefully that will reflect on everything else. Is that a, is that a known bad slot? Well, it's not a bad slot, but it's not, like, morning. You know what I mean? Like, it's like... Because not... I picture, like, me in my bed, like, going to bed, like, as a kid, or, like... I don't know. I would always listen to... But that's to... what happened. Like, there's this great sort of... Because a lot of people don't do radio then. But there are – whether it's people kind of in bed listening to radio or it's truck drivers that are driving overnight or it's West Coast or whatever it is, there are all these people. And I went in just trying to do a great show and now all these people that are around listening to radio that kind of are just searching for something mm. found this great show and that's how it was able to build oh, this fan base. Oh, you think it's a great and, show, huh? Well, it was. Yeah. <laughs> it was. <laughs> Very but, humble. No. <laughs> but it was able to build this fan base, and that's kind of how. And it wasn't about, like, you know, doing things that I knew that my bosses would like or trying to cozy up to the right people or making political moves. It was just like, just try to do a good show. I, I, I did. And, a, like, be easy to work with. Yeah, I did. Um, I, I, I taught, like, 40 women wrestlers. And I said a statement that I, I say sometimes. It's just like, I'm like, this is a, such a long-term thing, but you can't, you know, I was like, you guys all want to be stars. You, you're just not, I was like, this is so long-term. You're going to be in this for a long, if you want to do this, you're going to be in this for a long time. So you have to set these like short little goals because it's not, you know, and it's it's cliche, but it's, it's not, it's about the journey, not the destination. Absolutely, but it is, yeah. But yeah, like if you, if, I said, if you take yourself back and you're like, you're going to be 10 years and then maybe you'll get on TV, you're going to be like, gross like i like <laughs> yeah. spent 10 years but in those 10 years there's gonna be like all these great things that will happen to you little by little you know six months to one month it's just like you got to be happy for those little things and you can't you have to live in the moment yeah and not pull yourself away and being like 10 years till i get there i, I think that's too long i don't want to do it plus you're ready for it right like if you have 10 years of foundation yeah then this big break comes and you're probably a little more ready for it than you would well, be that's i told who did I, I told somebody the other day it takes ten years to become an overnight sensation. Yeah, and and they like blew their mind. Oh, my, my <laughs> buddy came in. We had my buddy Declan. Um, when I when I went to uh, England in two thousand four, he was a wrestler there, and he was just he was this little scrappy kid from Manchester. And uh, it's man, this it's, it's kind of about wrestling, but it's not. It's very it's, it's such a wild story. This scrappy poor kid from Manchester 
was wrestling, but was a great talker. And then, you know, he kind of got out of wrestling and he was in Chicago because he's now like the number one salesman. So they're flying him over. He's this number one salesman for this Fortune 500 company with no college education just because he was such a hustler and a talker and a street kid that he became this unbelievable thing. Uh And he was kind of like, he was kind of like assessing it. Like how he got there, and I was like, no man, like like the streets. And I was trying to tell him, I was like, you like you're not over the sensation. It took you ten. And he's like, oh. And I told him that quote, and like blew his mind. Yeah, that's what Malcolm Gladwell says. He right, goes, like like the ten thousand hours, ten thousand hours of practice, which translates to working kind of nonstop and obsessing over something for about ten years, mm. and then all of a sudden everything starts to click differently. When did you like in your career? Did you when, say when did you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is, I guess you're allowed to say that. <laughs> <laughs> when in your career, like, at what point did you kind of get comfortable with where you were at? When you started, I guess we'll start with where you when you started. Yeah. What were your goals? See, I I never thought I was going to be a WWE wrestler, even at the very beginning. Especially at the very beginning, because you were a WWE fan, right? Growing up, yeah, I was a fan of everything. I obsessed with everything, and like. So, but when I looked at myself, I was a chubby kid, mm-hmm. you know, I guess athletic, but even though like I played division one football, division one, a football, but when I was in that locker room, I just saw all the other guys who were just, you know, I, I came in as a defensive end at six foot, six foot tall and everybody else was six, four and over. So all these other guys were just giants and they were, they all had abs. I never had abs, you know, like <laughs> yeah. they, they were just like real athletes, you know, I was just kind of. I was good at football, but, like, my body was never, like, what these guys looked like. Uh-huh. And I remember some of the football players, like, taking steroids and stuff and being like, oh, man, I don't want to have to do that. <laughs> and, like, I've stayed true to that, you know. Like, thankfully, again, I think it's self-aware and, like, I like I am my own person, thankfully. But I just not, I, I knew I wasn't a giant, and that's what WWE was, was giants. But it's interesting, too, because the choices are important, too, right? Because you could take the same philosophy and say, so I just decided to start working nonstop, and I dieted like crazy, and I changed my body and did steroids or whatever it was and just stopped at nothing to change my body. But you didn't want to do that. Yeah, and I didn't want to – I didn't want to – Diet nonstop. Either. Like, <laughs> yeah, no. food so much. It sucks. I mean, I obviously I'm an athlete. I have an athlete's body, and like I, I maintain a regimen. I've, but like I, in my head, it was just like, in my head, it was like I don't want to take steroids, so I don't. I guess I won't go to the WWE. Essentially, what it was. And when I started in '99, you look at the guys who were, you know, I'm not saying that they're all, but you know, like, and I've been using these guys a lot. I don't know why, but I'll always say Jindrak and O'Hare. Like I just didn't look like those guys, <laughs> right? You know? And those were what they were looking for. Uh-huh. And I wasn't it, but I wanted to be a wrestler. And I was such a such a, a a smart mark kid, like you know, like I I saw I would I would see the rankings and like you would you would so there'd be WWF WCW ECW and then like you see like oh like in pro ECWA, wrestling yeah. yeah yeah and yeah. you see ECWA and you see USWA and you're like well they they get to be in the magazine too right. and I know that you'd Mr. see like Dirty White Boy on yeah the cover and you'd yeah. Be like, yeah and I was like I know I can like Mr Ulala I could look like him <laughs> Mozart Fontaine not a problem I could be that yeah and I'll be just like. As not famous, but like you get into wrestling, I'll magazines. be in it. Yeah. I'll be in it. Yeah, yeah. I'm not you're not even just in the magazines, but I'll be in wrestling, right? And respected. If you're in those magazines, you're respected as a wrestler. Sure, that's what I thought at 15. You could crack old. the top 100 yeah. of the PWI 500. Oh, boy, could dream. Actually, I did, and uh, I think I was 65 one year or something. That's huge. That was very huge. Yeah. yeah, I remember the first year I got the 500. It was just like, what number were you? It's maybe three something. That's still not bad for the first year. Yeah, right. It was, but. I, 
I think I felt I should have been in it a couple of years before. So oh, I was like, yeah, yeah it's about time. Brandy Mankiewicz, you put me in that 500. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I went in never thinking that I was going to be in the WWE or anything. Uh-huh. Can we blame you for that? Yeah. <laughs> Turn it off. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> the video viewers got a nice <laughs> one um, And so, yeah, so my goals were just like the first three years. It was nice because I was in college for the th- first three years. Right. So, like, I want to graduate. I, I never thought I'd get to the WWE. I remember I did think, like, oh, well, I'll do three years of college, and then I'll probably be good enough that that's, like, what I'll do. Like, I'll be able to drop out of college and make a living right No, nah, not that, but, like, once I'm done with college, I'll, I'll, that's when they'll probably hire me. I said right. the WWE. So, like, maybe that was in my head that that's when they would use me is, like, because you're going, like, by that time, I'll have three years' experience. Three right? years? And yeah. that'll be good. God, I did think that, I'll too. be the man. Not the man, but, like, I'll have, a like, a long three years <laughs> of work. And I did. You know, I worked every weekend. and But there was no – I was just doing it to do it. Right. Like, I wanted to get good, but I, it, was, it was almost the best thing that ever happened to me is that I realized that I had those three years. Like, I'm not looking for anything out of this except to finish college. And also get to do this wrestling, so it's pretty gay. So it's it's interesting because you started like even when you started, you had this other thing over here. So like now at this stage in your life, like you got wrestling, but you've got podcasting, and like there's this sort of accept like podcasting. There is a podcast community, yeah, and you've kind of been accepted into that, right? Mm-hmm. And so like you've got these two sides that are kind of balancing. And even back then when you started, like the reason that the three years seemed like obvious and doable was because you had this other side where it's like you're going to college yeah i never thought about that that's interesting yeah, yeah so it's always been this this thing that's maybe moving itself i don't know yeah well because once i became a full-time i don't know if i had anything once i became a full-time wrestler but maybe though you need those years to just be in it yeah yeah so yeah so after you get out of college and you realize like wwe's not calling not calling are you like i was in ring of honor though so that's probably Especially at that point in Ring of Honor, like when you get into that Ring of Honor, it's probably good enough that you don't really, you know, pine for WWE because Ring of Honor had a really solid yeah, buzz. Yeah, you do though, because you know what I saw? Like they picked Paul London, oh. and I was like, oh my god, we're like, I think we're close. You know? Yeah. Because they grabbed Paul London, like he was kind of hot. And by the way, he's not a giant. He's not a giant, but he could do stuff that I – he had a great buzz about him. And that's the cool thing about, like, now that I've realized it, is, like, you know, I try to be, like, this kind of, like, the champion of indie wrestling or I try to be, like, the captain a little bit or, you know, king of the indies, if you will. Yeah, sure. That I've just named myself. Thank you. Um, but uh, You're, like, the ambassador of indie wrestling you, for everybody. I, you know, I hope, like, that's what I do. But, like, you realize when I, when I say, the, the, like – I've been around that long where, like, that was a thing where, like, Paul London was like, right, they're going to take Paul London from the scene. <laughs> it was, like, and you see him now. I was like, man, that was so long It ago. really was. And, yeah, like, we were, you know, he was that first one. He Like, that first show, he was kind of the standout of that show. I think he tried to kill himself. Like, not actual, but, like, he did such crazy stuff in yeah. that show, the first Ring of Honor. And so, and then, you know, we were all in there, and they, they were scouting him. They took him. And so... Like, it looked like, oh, man, this is – I knew it wouldn't be me, like, right then. But I was like, man, if I if I work hard and I do really well in this, like, maybe they'll want me one day. I, I, he's made a clear path. Yeah. They, like, now there's a path. Yeah. And if I stay here and just do well, I know they're going to at least see me. At least see me, yeah. right. Or, or, yeah, some kind of shot. But still in my head, 
I don't know if I ever thought I was going to – I just thought like, ah, they'll look at me and they'll look at my body and they'll they'll just see other people and be like, those guys have better bodies. Even at that point. Even at that – and I didn't want to do steroids and like I guess like I didn't want to be – there was points in my career where like I tried to be a maniac about dieting and stuff and, you know, it's hard. Like mm-hmm. it's just hard. It's, I can't it, even give up soda. So I know. I'm that's not. what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like I had accustomed a life where like I was making a living. It was an awful living but like I was like, well, I love – like – I love that I get to eat pizza on Sundays, and I uh-huh. love that, hey, maybe I want some gummy worms sometimes, and I will, and I'll eat well, but it's not like this life is awful. Right. I was doing this full-time, awful salary, but still doing it full-time. It's all I needed Making to do. Making a living. Making was, a living. Was there any part of you, like, do you, do you not have it in you, or did you not have it in you at that point to be like, well, at some point, like, you know, there might be a family, or I will need to save some money for retirement, or like at my age, I should have something in a savings account or my friends have 401ks or whatever yeah there was i remember a guy the guy that used to do the books for ring of honor i was 25 and he was a guy that like worked you know he worked outside he was the the books guy his name was sid i don't know if everyone remembers his name but he also had like properties and all this other stuff he was a real adult mm-hmm. you know like unlike us wrestlers who were <laughs> right and he was like yeah you should probably have a hundred thousand in the bank at 25 i was like oh no what <laughs> <laughs> and like and that stuck with me and i remember like you know i even I don't I was, think i'm gonna have a hundred thousand in the bank at 35 <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and i was like i remember i was like 28 and 29 and i was still like i don't have a hundred thousand in the bank like <laughs> whoa i'm so i'm four years past like what i'm supposed to have and so that kind of like always kind of did stick with me but I didn't have a family, and I always like, and, this, and I'm weird, right? I don't now at 36 because I was always kind of like, well, I I want to get this, you know, I want to get the. I, I saw there's people that would, I don't know, there's two different ways because I saw people who did have families and they got to stick with like like Sanjay's great because uh, Sanjay Dutt, you yeah, know, he's got a kid and he's got a wife and he's just got this great wife that's like. I remember him saying, like, because we had these conversations, and, and this is a lot of what based my podcast is based off is these conversations of like, what are we gonna do? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and he and his wife was like, no, this is what you do, like, because he was like, do I, honey, do I have to get a job now? And she's like, no, yeah, just wrestle, that's fine. Like, this is your life, and I was like, oh, like that's, and in my head, it's like, oh, I'm just never gonna find that. So like, like I keep, you know, and that's what I, I guess I'm looking for. Uh, in a woman. <laughs> Have you had relationships? Yeah, yeah. And did they kind of get it, or is that usually what? It's usually what what veers them away. Yeah. They get it at first. It's great then, at first. Of I'm course, it's wrestler. fun. You're yeah. traveling. Well, they're not traveling. No. I'm traveling, but they're like, he's looking at this, and he loves what he's doing. And right. It's like, oh, but I want a real life, and this is not yeah, what it's like, for. No, this is forever. This is everything, yeah. and it's always. And it's crazy, because I'm 36 now, and like I'm just picturing... I know what my lifestyle is, is just constantly getting on planes and all of this stuff. And I was thinking about it the other day. I was like, well, when I'm 46, like, oh, I'll probably be doing the same thing. Right. And still, like, and it's weird because I even take, like, the low-paying gigs. You know, like, I, I I just make so much weird money from everywhere that it all just kind of adds up. And that's always been my thing is, like, yeah. don't try to go for the one, you know, $50,000 paying gig. Go for a bunch that add up to fit and work your butt off. And so, like... Uh, so, so you have to take sometimes the little ones, and and like if people knew why I was flying to a place for such little money, they'd be like, "What are you doing?" Right. But like, nah, that's my system. Yeah. But I can only imagine like having it's the a big wife, picture. Yeah. Yeah. I can only imagine having a wife and kids and being like, "Honey, you can't 
what are you doing? You know, this is the big picture. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, yeah. I mean, at first, I'm sure the podcast wasn't making any money. and like it's doing, making no money. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how they work. Zero money. Zero right? dollars. Yeah. yeah. For the first, like, year at least. First, first three years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And then, like. You got to remember, not to sidejack you, but uh, I did it just because I did it. Right. And then once, and then as I was doing it, it got popular. Uh, I did the Sklar Brothers, and the Sklar Brothers are an Earwolf, and Earwolf is at the company called Midroll, and they were one of the first ones to start selling ads. And the people that they couldn't believe like all the attention I was getting on Sklar Brothers from like the, my, I tweeted out, and they're like, "Colt, who?" They're like, "Who is this guy?" And then the the owner of Midroll was like, "We didn't know who you were, and now we do, and now like we sell these ads. Do you want ads?" And I was like, "Well, I don't want to take out like a crappy ad." And they're like, "This is how much you got." I was like, "Whoa!" <laughs> <laughs> and then and so then yeah, and then I started making money, and then like and this isn't like a crap on you know Austin or Jericho or those guys or or Jim Ross, but the reality is is somebody presented them with a business plan with a business plan yeah. with money yeah. going, and that's the. You know, maybe it'd be different now because they realize how how fun and how great it is. But they're not. They're, if you told Steve Austin, million dollar man, millionaire Steve Austin, yeah. hey, do this show from your house for free. You'll never get paid. He'll be like, uh, he'll be, uh, uh, you know, that's <laughs> a, uh, 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 hell no. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So, but I was in it. I don't know. I mean, it's so funny too because you're right. Because people come to me like. Asking for like business advice and like, well, I want to start a podcast. And I'm like, I look, everything I've ever done, you just do it for free for a while and yeah. hopefully it turns into something. Like mm-hmm. that's the best business advice I could give you. Because um, you're right. Like not only like when you started, was there no business plan in place, but wrestling was, wasn't even a part of the conversation, it right? Like, like what? Like I a podcasting. It... Like there's no real – when you first start – Wrestlers in were there – were, there were tons of podcasts. Wrestling podcast? Yeah, and I think people who was doing wrestling podcast. Nobody you know, right? That, that's what it is, right? And it was, and nobody in the business. Oh, you mean like so? so there are a lot of fan wrestling podcasts, and of course, like people, but not a wrestler doing nobody podcast. in the right. business. And right. because I had this conversation uh, with I was with Matt and Jeff Hardy yesterday, mm-hmm. and they were ta- they were like, "Oh, you, I'll do their. Hey, you were the fair, the first, right? I don't know. That's my southern. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're kind of pioneer." Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I think Matt Hardy called me the vanguard of uh, – he was like the vanguard of podcasting, right? I was like, what does that mean? He's like, man, like, okay, never mind. And then uh, – <laughs> but uh, – well, wait, where was I? Oh, man. Um, so you were like the pioneer. Yeah, but nobody was in it. I forgot what I was going to say. Damn it. It was such a good thought too. Well, are you, so I mean I, I would assume you were going along the lines of saying you were or were oh, not the pioneer. Oh, oh yeah. Any In wrestling – they would have, I was like, they, they'd call you a mark. Like, I had to deal with the idea of, like, oh, look at this mark. Right. Like, we're, not the, we're not the interviewers. We get interviewed. Yes. And that was, like, the stigma. And I, it was in my head, like, oh, man, like, that might be a stigma. But I had cemented myself in wrestling long enough where, and, again, self-aware and, like, a little confidence that, like, man, even if they say that, fuck them. Like, I think this is cool. I think this is a cool thing. I love listening to podcasts, and I know fans would love listening to that style of podcast. Yeah. So, like, I stuck to my guns, and I was like, I won't let this out, this inner bullying that's not even happening, you know, that I'm thinking might happen. Yeah. And I stuck to my guns. And so, and then, obviously, and I say, when, Ste- when Stone Cold did it, then no one's going to be like, look at this, Mark. We don't do the inter- – we get interviewed because that's Steve Austin. Like, right. If he can do it, then yeah. And that's kind of when the floodgates open is like, right. well, if he can do it, then like, yeah, of course it's acceptable. Right. But you know, luckily for me, like in my head, and I got like a four-year jump on everybody, yeah. is like I was just like, no, I like 
uh, like I get the idea that like we shouldn't be marks if that's what you want to call it, but I like the idea of this inside baseball talk between guys. And I was having these kind of conversations in the locker room, and to me, you know, it just made sense. Why yeah. wouldn't you record it? And, and I knew that there was an audience that would love it because if I was a fan, I would love it. I'm sure. Like I remember, Mark Marin came in when I was doing. Uh, I was producing for Opie and Anthony at the time. And Mark Marin came in, and he was, like, just starting his podcast, and I think he was off one of his divorces, and he was just, like, a bitter, like, beaten man. And he was like, I don't know, I'm trying this podcast thing. But you could hear it in his voice. Like, you know, he had had a pretty significant comedy career. Yeah. And there was like some— 20 years, right? Yeah, yeah. And there was something in him where it was like— I, and maybe this is just me taking it away, but I think it was a similar thing where now he's like, I don't really know if I should be— trying to ask people, hey, will you do my podcast and like doing the interviews and blah, blah, blah. But he stuck to it and I, it, it's a pretty similar thing in the world of comedy as you you were in the world of wrestling where it was like the comedian talking to comedians mm-hmm. just is a totally different perspective. It's like being an analyst. Like I look at my podcast, like I wouldn't even put it in the same universe as like you or Austin or Jericho or JR or any of those guys because – it's like the difference between a play-by-play guy in the NFL and a football player who's sitting there giving you his perspective on it. Like you're always going to want to know what the football player. Well, thought. I was at the World Series, I, and I had the same thought. Where it was, it was Joe Buck and it was John Smoltz, right? And it's like, yeah, John Smoltz has been in there. He's been in the game. He's you know, and, and Joe like is great, and he's respected. And and, and you still need he's a broadcaster. Hard, he's put in the you, hard work. Right. 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 And you still need somebody who knows how to do a show. But at the same time, like, that's why, like, I, I try to say very clearly, like, I'm coming at it from a fan's perspective mm. for fans. Mm. Like, if you want to know what wrestlers think, I'll ask them. Right. <laughs> but if you want to know what a conversation between two guys in a locker room sounds like, yeah. those are other podcasts. Oh, that's what where those are, right? You know? And, and there are the, – and, and there are – right, and that's the best thing is – and that's the – a lot of people were like, oh, are you worried now, like, the competition? It's like there's so many hours in the day. I listen to 40, 45 different podcasts right. myself. So, like, the idea of, like, someone else listening to someone else, like, it didn't worry me. Right. I, like, maybe now because there's, like, a thousand of them. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a little. Yeah. A little <laughs> but pretty yeah, big like, number. When, it's not like I, I thought, the, you know, almost one of the best things that happened in my podcast was Stone Cold having a podcast and then people going, oh, I like this format. What else is there out there? And there wasn't any. Yeah. Except mine. Yeah. You know, and then Jericho. But then, like, you know, so the idea of, like. It lends a credibility that maybe wasn't there for, like, the main. It's, like, it spreads out of this niche podcast thing and it hits a mainstream and people were all of a sudden yeah they found out about it because he's such a giant name because he's such a giant name yeah and i know people and and that's luckily like that first rush that i had that people gave me like because and people there was people in that the fan wrestling podcast that were upset with me because they're like why is he now oh and still to this day where you say oh you started this all and there's people who've been doing it 10 years be like i i did this 10 years ago right and it's like well I went out the hard way and I, you know, for, for 12 years at that point, I went to every v- VH, VWF hall. I went to every auditorium. Like, right. I put, you know, I worked hard and I gained this little name for myself that where then I, I can go on to the show and now I have an audience. But you built the audience. I built it's, not, the audience. it's still an organic audience. Right. You built it a different way. I, and I took them from one thing and I, and I said, hey, join me over here. Right. And some people did. And then I started growing from there, but I had a foundation. Right. And, and if your podcast sucked, they would have just fallen off. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I'll go see Cult at the Shows, but his podcast is terrible. Right. Like, that would happen. And that's 
it's a, my podcast wasn't the audio the best at first, but luckily I was the first of a kind and no one had that kind of content. And now like, you know, I spent a lot of money on audio and editing and stuff. And I tell that to anyone podcasting out there and anyone wants to podcast and they're listening, like the same thing that you just said, like they'll give you 15 seconds, they'll give you 20 seconds. So if you just start off the show and it sounds tinny and you, and yeah, they'll, they'll turn it off and they won't give you another shot for five years. Yeah. So make sure that you catch them right away. I heard in one of the interviews, you know, you're talking about what a big bump the, uh, the other podcasts were for you. I'd always assumed that the punk podcast, and by the way, I'm dropping this Thanksgiving Eve. Hey. <laughs> but, but I'd always assumed that the punk podcast had been, and I'm sure it still was a huge boost for you, but the ser- did the servers crashing really? It, it killed it. It did. It like, it took all. Cause I remember, I remember waking up Thanksgiving morning. Yeah. And being like, you know, I'd heard about this and I'm like, I got to listen to it. And I had to find, I don't remember where I finally found a place that Probably had maybe it. Maybe YouTube. So maybe that, YouTube. That one girl uploaded on YouTube. Or I don't know, a girl. Her name was like AJ Lee fan. I assume she was a girl. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's a weird guy. It could be. I don't know. But um, yeah, I had, to, I had to find it, and it probably, I don't think it was off of, because I don't think you had the SoundCloud thing up yet, so I don't right. think it was off of one of your things. So essentially, I, you know, at that point, I've been doing it, what, four years or something like mm-hmm. that? Uh, yeah, four years, a little over four years. And as podcasters, essentially what we're doing is we're building up that subscribe button. Yeah. Right? Yes. That's what, that's what it is. So, like, it comes to you automatically. That's and, why everybody tells you to subscribe, rate, review. Because yeah. that's, what, that's what counts. That's Yeah. Like, that way it just pops up in your feed and yep. you listen to it. And so we're trying to build up these subscribers, which is weird because in – well, well, as so a little inside podcasting. Yeah, you don't you – don't, well, you, do, you don't know how many subscribers you have, right? No, you can guess based on, like – Your numbers. No, Yeah, like but how many can, instantaneous downloads you get right. every week. Yeah, fair enough. You can kind of guess, but you don't know. Even so. Yeah, but YouTube, you see how many subscribers you yes. have. And then you see how many people who really watch, and it's such a difference. Right. So I think luckily – Well, that's like, that's like radio. Like radio is all about, like, ratings, right? Like, so you have to actually listen to the show. Mm-hmm. Because they have like meters that say who's listening to what, and TV, it's the same thing. You have to have the show on and watch it. But in podcasting, you don't have to listen to a word. Like you don't have to listen to if you don't listen to any of my podcasts, you don't have just download it. Just all right. as long as you have the download. Yeah, yeah. You don't actually have to listen. And I've heard because I've heard like I'll listen to some like in, like inside podcast and like they're working on that software. They are to find out like who's actually how long. And it's almost like I don't a, want. That. I don't want it. <laughs> yeah, I don't want that. It I, killed radio, by the way. Did it? It used to be like. The radio ratings used to be done, and I don't have to worry about them, thank God, anymore because SiriusXM doesn't – it doesn't apply. But like in regular radio, it used to be they would send journals, and you would write down what you were listening to. So you'd be like, oh, I listened to Jim Norton and Sam Roberts all morning, blah, blah, blah. And you just kind of do that, right? Like if you had it on, you were in the shower, you were in the car, blah, blah, blah. You'd just write 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. I was mm-hmm. listening to this. But in actuality, like you weren't listening when you were in the shower. You're listening a few minutes there, a few minutes here. So they invented these like meters, that, like little devices that you carry on you, people meters, and it records, like it keeps track of what you're listening to. And then you send that in, and it destroyed, like any talk show they had to add music to or they had to change the format to sports, like it destroyed wow. radio, I think. Yeah. You know, so I, I, would, <laughs> I would hope that that doesn't, and you can't, but they take something like that is so organic and like I think artistic, and I know you do too, like podcasting or or whatever or radio or whatever, 
and like they so monetize it to the second right. that it like kind of spoils it. Well, I think that's the cool thing about it. like ads is they and like because I work with the mid roll and those guys are very like. But I've been there for so long. I'm like friends with the guys, and so you hear them talking sometimes, right? And like just the idea that like you, some of these companies who are doing podcasts, they have like the radio. Hey, this is you know, do you want Quicken Loans or whatever it is? Yeah, but like they've done the research that like no, your hosts talking about the ads are why people buy podcasts. It's, a, it's a connection, people, yeah, yeah, because they like that's kind of a stern thing too, right? He was yeah. one of the first ones that I remember talking about Snapple or whatever, right? <laughs> yeah, and doing these live reads. Yeah, it's like all right, if he drinks it, then I'll drink of it. Course. Like, yeah. yeah, of course, <laughs> yeah, of course. That. <laughs> so, uh, so going back to that, so the crash. I was on this awful server. It was like Yahoo Blogs, really. Even at one time, because I, I went through this guy, cable guy Jeff, who that's what he's doing, and he was doing the show with Stu Stone, and Stu wasn't getting those kind of numbers, yeah. so like. You know, if uh, 200 people, that was great for him, you know, and then I was like, because I remember, um, like Jim Ross, the one I did with Jim Ross got a lot and that crashed it. And then I remember somebody figured out how to hack into it because it's just crappy Yahoo. So someone hacked my podcast one week. I remember putting out a thing being like, well, I guess, you know, if everyone, if you're going to hack into it, I'm going to be done. So if anyone can help me, like, figure out how not to, to hack, do, not to hack or what to do, you know, because it's just like, what am I going to do? Like put out a, and everyone's just going to hack this every week. And so essentially this was, the, and I That's knew it was crazy. Coming. So you weren't doing like a Libsyn thing or no. anything like that. And this is even pretty deep into years into yeah. it. So, I mean, and by the way, before the punk thing it's a very popular podcast. Yes. So it's like <laughs> to have that as the back end. Yeah. It's tough. And I knew it was almost like what you knew was coming, but I just didn't want to admit it. Like yeah. it was, I guess it was the best thing that happened to me that I got on a real server, but like, it was the worst because I built up this – and I built up four years of this you know, audience. And, yeah, like people say like the punk one is, did it for me. But, you know, before that, I, I was – someone asked me this the other day and, and like I, I had to think about it. And like I – there was a lot. There were so many great ones. But like I did this William Regal two-parter before. I remember that one. And I think that one was where people were like, whoa, like this is great. Yeah. And even I was just like – when he was like – I think he kind of like – I, I would talk about around him, but like I didn't want to ask him. I didn't think he'd want to do it. And he's like, "If you ever want me on your podcast," I was like, "Are you kidding?" Me? <laughs> I was like, "Yes." Yeah. And then I went to TV one. Uh, I think it was after Punk to the Pipe Bomb thing, so I was kind of around a little bit, and I had to. I, and they went so like I was kind of like invited back into the world a little bit. Oh. Yeah. So like I'd go and just hang out, and so they'd be like, "Okay, of course, you have some catering, hang out." And like I got a dark match once, and and so I went. I knew they were in. That's interesting. So after that, so he mentions you, and then it's like you're just kind of around, like you're just in the family. Uh, well, you know, it's like in my head, like I got to get fired, and then I wasn't, um, you know, like in my head, it's like we don't like him. You're blackballed forever, right? You know, like that's why we fired you. We, <laughs> of course, we don't want you around. And then, like he said my name, and he, you know, that stuff happened, and then all of a sudden, like all of a sudden, everybody on the bat. Here's the thing that that place. Mm-hmm. The, here's the thing with my career. Yeah, management hates me. Everybody else on the fringe of every company loves me. Right. That's how. It was. So like the WWE.com guy was like, oh, I'll give you a scoop that I haven't told anyone. Okay. The WWE.com. Oh, you excited for yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The WWE.com <laughs> guy, like, you know, he was like, oh, and he's like, let's get an article on you now. Like, let's do this. Like, they all trying to sneak me in, and um, and so yeah, so I'd go, I just go back there. Uh, you know, when he'd go, I'd, I'd jump on his bus and I'd go to Milwaukee with him. And then that's how I grabbed Regal. He's like, all right, let's go over here. And, and then, and cause I was, I was allowed to go back there and they were happy to see, you know, they were yeah. not, I wasn't not allowed to happy to see me. Um, so, uh, and this is tangenting off, but, uh, so when 
there's a story of like I they wanted me to be the WWE. They wanted me to be I think an NXT ring announcer, right? Right. I remember 2014. And I went down there. So in 2013, what happened is I think Punk's DVD came out. I think Triple H watched it. And I think he went, oh, my God, this guy can talk. Like, I didn't know that. Yeah, I was in the company for two years, but no one ever tells those guys. Yeah. I'm just thrown down. Like, and if you saw that DVD, like, you know, I come off passionate about it. I'm talking. Like, listen to me now. Like, I know how to. Well, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But no one ever. Higher management never knows that. Yeah. That's the thing about me. Because I think in my head, they look at my body and they're like, and I think that's how I got fired, too, is Kevin Dunn. Literally, you know, that's the rumors I hear allegedly allegedly mm-hmm. allegedly a third time uh you know he saw me on tv and was like this guy no get rid of him <laughs> i think that's what that's what i heard happen and so uh and again that's 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 how management you know that's they're thinking a big picture and these other people who've seen all my my body of work know like oh of course colt's great like he does yeah. this he does this he's versatile blah 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 blah, blah. and um uh so uh, that's how I got fired. What was I saying? Oh, I, he saw the DVD and, and I, I think I came off well in it. He's like, well, do you want to be a, this? And I was like, I'm, I don't know. I'm doing so great and whatever. And he, he's like, well, come down and do a tryout. And I did a tryout and then I did a tryout at Titan Towers and I never heard from them for eight months. Like an announcer thing? Yeah. Me yeah. and Josh Matthews. Yeah. And you know what? Josh Matthews is an interesting one because I know a lot of people give him shit, right? I like Josh. When that, the, just at that tryout, he was like talking. He was texting on the phone. I think he was reading a book, and I think he was like playing his hair. And he was he was so good at it. Yeah, like it's such a hard thing Dude, t- to do. I, t- I had I did one with Josh too because I was friends with him, and I think he just got me an audition over there. But like when we were doing it, he was doing the same thing. Like he was texting and stuff, but still like on his game. Hey, we're here at SmackDown. You know. <laughs> and then I would say something like I said like U.S. champion or something, and he would just write real quick and just pass me a note that said say United States, not U.S. Yeah. And I'd be like, how are you? Like, he's so in tune to everything he's that was going on. He's good at what he on. does. He is good. Those guys are and, – and even I took away from that, like, if, for everyone who shits on Michael Cole, for everyone who shits on yeah. JBL. And, yeah, like, I, of course we could shit on him because we're watching from afar. But it's hard. Yeah. And just to be able to do it is pretty – it's a pretty big skill. So I, I came away, like, more impressed with those guys than I thought I, than I, thought I was. Mm-hmm. And I think that's nice that I was able to, like, really, like, appreciate what they do. Yeah. So eight months pass. I think – Nothing happens. Uh, Punk is getting, um, you know, pissy about his position. Right. And, and so I think that's one of the things he, you guys don't do this, you do this, and then you, you call Colton and you don't even call him. And they're like, <laughs> oh, my God, we didn't call. And so then they call me in for another one. <laughs> and then and all the hit, all the heat. And are up. you, so are you going like, guys, like, call me if you want me, but don't call me because Punk's throwing a tantrum or did you not care? Uh, I, it was more like, my feeling was like, if if I'm good, use me, but don't stop playing with me right that's kind of what it was it's right because i'm doing great at this time i was my movies had come out i was doing great i was making great money i was everything was just finally starting to click for me but it was funny because like you know i started all of it because it was just like i'm gonna show them yeah and so there's this weird part of like i don't need them but i want to i want them to be like yeah you were great we're sorry we fired you kind of thing it was a real ba- weighing balance on me anyways uh and so then they call me back and then nothing happened and then 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 I did a second one, and I think I did really well. And then eight months, then nothing happened. Then eight months later, they started sending me down to NXT for three weeks and three weekends in a row. And I remember being like, one of my things is I only want to fly United because uh, I, I feel I've gained the, I, the gained the right that I can kind of ask what f- what status I want to fly on, so I can get miles and free bags. And it's this whole thing where it's like it's really insurance because like I can just be like, hey, I need to get in the next flight. So if something happens and I get free bags and all that stuff, so uh, I was they were like, okay, you have a Delta flight. I was like, nope. 
I only fly United WWE. They're like, really? <laughs> yeah. Because I was like, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so they were like, all right. And then they came back and they flew me on United. It was pretty cool. Wow. Yeah, I, I felt really empowered. <laughs> really empowered. Yeah. And um, at that time, so what happened was after the third week and then the, the fourth week, Punk ended up leaving. And then the day after, I got a call saying, I don't think we're interested, uh. <laughs> right? But at that time, there was also another thing that was going to happen. I was going to get my own WWE.com show. I was going to get my own YouTube show. Even uh, not be a personality, just have the YouTube As show. As an independent wrestler wow. on their WWE YouTube show. And I had made my – like they had this – like I don't even remember, but like Bill After was on there for like a day. And Steve Austin was – they had the thing with like After and Steve Austin. Do you remember that at I all? don't. Yeah. Which We're, is weird because I usually – You know everything, yeah. right? Yeah. It's, it was such a weird glitch. And like they wanted to have this like weird little like show where they just like show – maybe they talk for a minute. But I, just like the podcast, realized I knew the power of that. And I was like, oh, my God, if I can be, you know, those are getting, like, minimum 100,000. Minimum. So now all of a sudden, I'm getting the WWE rub, just like today, how, like, and I guess it's not happening anymore, but, like, uh, like Ciampa and Gargano would be a great example of, like, they killed it on the indies. Yeah. They were on the I saw the same idea a couple of years before. If I can get this rub and then take that and I could plug my indie dates on that YouTube show. So I like made this thing and I made this little clip show kind of like I had that. WD- I mean, even being there and they just Google your name, find your website and find your indie yes. dates there. There's enough people. Yes. Yeah. And so uh, and and so I, I made this. Just, I had that What's Cracking with Scotty Goldman. You remember that? I one? remember that one. Yeah. yeah. And like, I, like that was like it was not my baby, but like. I was so that was like I was writing that I was doing it and then they changed everything but the process of writing it like they changed all my jokes they I felt that like I had such some funny stuff that they just changed the day of but the I got I was so inspired I think that was like the first podcast for me like I was so inspired writing this show uh and I loved doing it then mm-hmm. then also I I wanted then I was like okay now I'm four years later and I have all this experience and I've been producing all this like podcast stuff. And so like I, I produced like these segments with like I had a green screen in my apartment and I like had these funny bits and like I was just like this is going to be my weekly show. This is amazing. Yeah. I'll have my podcast and my YouTube show. And my YouTube show is going to be on WWE what, YouTube. Huge. Huge. And so that also with him leaving – and now me being back to the black sheet, that got taken away too. Yeah. But that was – I don't know where I, any of that – where that started but that – this, that conversation of it, but um, yeah, that was like I, I thought that would have been so powerful. It would have been, I'm sure. So, uh, do you uh, are you on good terms or bad terms or no terms with them now? I think no terms, no terms. Yeah. Like they, it's just whatever. Yeah, and I'm yeah. not sure. And obviously, obviously, this is stuff I don't want to talk about. Um, but you know, like the lawsuits, the stuff. legal stuff. Yeah. yeah so it's just like, and thing. I think it's like as long as that's there. They don't want to talk to me, and I don't want to talk to them, kind of thing. Which makes sense. Yeah. I mean, but it's got to be. There's, there's some. I don't know. And I'll I w- clear this up. I, I, w- I never went to a show in the last year. Oh, I was never backstage or anything. Okay, that was internet gaga. Yeah, but it's got to make you feel. It's got to give you some level of comfort that uh, uh, they've made up. Like, like nothing in wrestling and nothing in WWE seems like it's forever, right? Like, no matter. What yeah. happens? Like, the, like the I don't think the the concept of the blacklist right exists. It like might be Ken Doan is on TV now. That's yeah. But the thing is, is I don't care. Right. I don't need it. 
That's and that's where it's like <laughs> when that thing hits you, yeah, you're like, oh, I've set up a thing where I can do this for whatever fifteen more years, and it's not like these guys they wait around for the call and they're so happy, and like I this isn't Brian Kendrick's a great friend of mine, right? But he, you know. I, I didn't see. I haven't seen him on the scene. He did a tour of Japan, and he had a school. But you know, he was ecstatic when they find like seven years later. It's like mm-hmm. imagine what he was. He was waiting seven years, and he didn't know gotcha. if that, that call was going to come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It might have never came. Right. And so, like, I for those seven years for me, it's like I've been working hard, making a great living, like doing what I do, like yeah. not having to worry or, about really anything, and almost setting yourself up so should that call come again and it makes sense, you wouldn't go in like you could go in and say, yeah, but like there's no denying that people know who I am and what I do. So you'd go in as you. It's not like you'd go in. Yeah, but I had that when I when I did that dark match. I, I remember going to them because uh, I was prepared like that. Yeah, because I was like I built my own thing, and I was like, and I gave them the stats. I said, here's what I make on merchandise. Here's what I do this. And I you go, gave them all the numbers. I gave them the numbers. Yeah. Did Laurinaitis, and to this day, this is why I like and Carano, and they just the, 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 it's such a carny place that they're just like they they were like oh whatever. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I can't believe this. And what I did give them at that time, I think this was 2013, maybe 2000 something, 2011. Well, I don't know. Yeah. I, I gave them my Twitter numbers. I go, look how many followers I have. And then I, I not only that, I showed them. I took like five guys that were on the roster: Titus O'Neil, Darren Young, some of the lower guys. And I go, I got ten thousand more followers than your guys that are on TV. And they go, no one cares about Twitter. <laughs> That's what they said. <laughs> like. Uh, Three months later, that was when that like someone smart and Vince up about Twitter and it was yeah. like Twitter, Twitter, Twitter. Yeah, and I was like, come on, yeah. Come. So like that's and what? But what I learned there too is like, yeah, they've just always kind of been behind the times. Mm-hmm. I always say wrestling's been by, five years behind the times. But but what they're good at is when they when they get on the times, they yeah. get on it. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like when they decide, like, no, this is a thing. It's like here's the new initiative. Yeah, well, well, which is fine for them. But in saying like. Like I knew to be ahead in the podcast. Yes, I knew to be ahead on you know wrestling docs, kind of like that. And there's something I'm going to be ahead of. You know, Next. I'm I'm going to see the the right. I'm going to see yeah. the line of where it's going, it's, and I'll be ahead. It's nice when you get two or three of those, and you realize like, oh no, this isn't just I got lucky once right. and <laughs> saw one thing. It's yeah. like no, I kind of yeah. And it's probably the connection with the audience that you're still like in there, mm-hmm. and you're still and you're also like you're in the wrestling bubble. Right? Yes. Like you're not stuck in there. Like you're in it, but you're not, you step out of it as well. So you see the way kind of society is shifting. I, dude, I did a, I did We Watch Wrestling, which is another podcast. Uh-huh. And it's, it's Matt and Vince. And then Tom Sibley is the other guy. And he's like their friend who just like started watching wrestling. And like halfway through it, he's like, he's like, you're like a normal guy. <laughs> <laughs> like he was blown away by the idea that he's like, I, just he's like I know how these wrestlers work. He's like I don't get it. Like why are you normal? And I think that's the idea is that like I am like a little normal, right? Because I'm not in that bubble. Like I see everything, and yeah. I can I can adapt to like. It's also nice though that like like your 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 ego is not such like when when you did Doug Benson's podcast, like you were genuinely excited, and like you can't like a lot of guys would kind of try to like even if they wanted because like I remember I talked to you about doing Doug Benson's podcast. And I was like, well, you hooked you? that up. Yeah. And I was like, would you want me to talk to him? And you're like, yes, that would be amazing. Yeah. Please. There are a lot of guys that would kind of no sell and be like, I don't know. You know, if he wants to do it, whatever. Blah, but blah, I blah. was like, if, 
I so want to do it, but like, I was a little bit. I was like, don't be like, Colt desperately wants to do your thing. But you were honest about it. You weren't like, yeah, you yeah. weren't trying to be like, well, you know. No, no Like, you weren't yeah. too cool for it. Yeah. Well, but that's because, like, when there's stuff that's cool, like, when I'm a fan of something, I want to be a part, like, I want to be a part of it. Or, like, right. And it's nice that, like, I'm at a. It, it, I'm. Because there's fans who will be like, can I be on your podcast? It's like, no, you. What? No. But, like, right. that I'm on a level where I have enough, like, buzz where someone, like, a guy like Doug will be like, He'll check me out and he'll be like, oh, this guy's a working thing and he's got this. And he's got yeah. followers. He's got a following. Like, yeah. is, is that awkward for you? Because like your podcast is cemented. And I was listening to the to Doug's podcast and he was like, well, you ever had Sam on your podcast? And you were like, well, no. I mean, I kind of just talked to wrestlers. Yeah. Like that's that's the thing. Like you wanted to do it without being insulting. Right. And be like, no, I wouldn't. But you were I like. I want to be like, he, he would, if it was a podcast about just like. He would make the cut. Right. Yeah. right. <laughs> but, and the, well, that's why I, I like doing, I do the live shows. Yeah. Because I can have, you Comedian could come on a live be show. be a live show yeah. and stuff like that. And I love, and almost, God, I did this, I did the Chicago Podcasting Festival. And I, uh, I was, I was a guest on uh, this Cinema Jaw, this show in Chicago. And I just like, and like, it's like, I, it's almost like I was proud of myself that like, I, like I got it. It was a live crowd. It's so different from being here. Mm-hmm. Like you have to, there's a crowd there. You have to entertain them. You have to give them like laughs per minute, kind of. I feel they're a paying crowd. Like you can't just sit in a dead room. And so when I do live podcasts, like I, I want those comedians badly, right? Because they get right. it. Sometimes the wrestlers don't get it, right? Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. I've done live shows, and I mean, luckily, I, I know how to do a live show. And it's like, and you can bring wrestlers into it. And, like, they'll adapt to it. And, actually, it's mainly with WWE guys. And WWE guys are generally better with live rooms because they they're, just, they're used to it and they're in the mm-hmm. thing. But you're you're right about that. Um, I was, I just, when you're doing – this is going back to the movie because we haven't talked about the movie. Oh, yeah. Much, I have but, a movie for sale, guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah by the movie. We'll talk about it in the intro and <laughs> okay. in the outro, so don't worry about the plugs. But um, – Don't worry about ColtMerch.com where you can get it. <laughs> But, but by the way, he'll ship it from his house. Oh, yeah, I will. <laughs> when you're doing comedy wrestling, because that's what – I'm glad that Wrestling Road Diaries has kind of progressed in a good way because the first two were great, and like especially the first one. But you know what's great about this third one is that I noticed right off the bat like production value yeah. has increased – so much. Like the first one, what year did the first one come out with? We filmed it in 2009. Right. And that was with Brian Danielson and all yeah. that. And, it, and was, it was a Ring of Honor camera. So it was a nicer camera. But it was still just like it felt like one of those like like RF video kind of following you around handheld camera yeah. deals. But it was a nice it was a nice camera. We right. borrowed it from ROH. We're using nice cameras. But this one is like it's a full fledged. It's a movie. It's a movie. It's a movie. J- Jack Edinger. There's he, a there's a there's a hard and soft focus. Yeah, there's yeah. like it's everything. There's yeah. storytelling. Storytelling. Yeah. 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 There's 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 editorial decisions that have happened which aren't from me, mm-hmm. which are from Jack Edinger, who edited it, shot it, and I say co-directed mm-hmm. because. I'm also directing while I'm in a documentary, which is funny. You know, like I'll be, we're, we're you know, we're getting this, the clips of me in it. But when I see something, I'll be like, hey, get that. Or, hey, let's try to get, there's a, there's a scene where Grado is speaking only Scottish on his phone. Kikutaro is speaking Japanese on his uh. phone. And I thought that would be funny. So I have them like redo that. And it comes <laughs> off as a nice scene in the thing. Yeah. Um, and that's me like directing to like, hey, let's get this shot. Um, but yeah, uh, Jack kills it. 
He's got a beautiful. He's got, and he was like super excited because he's like, I got all this new camera equipment. Yeah, and and he he's a videographer for Fall Out Boy. He tours with them all around the oh, world. Oh wow! So he's a real thing, and he's a local Chicago dude, uh-huh. which is important. Like he's like a dude. Yeah. So like you know he's just you look at a guy and you're just like oh you're not gonna be like. I don't know. You get it. You yeah, get. You totally. get it. You know. You totally. get the art. You get the idea of what we're doing. He's he runs free. He's he's a co-owner of Freelance Wrestling in Chicago. Oh yeah, yeah, I yeah. Know of it. So yeah. he's in. He's in. You know. Yeah. yeah. And he was great. What do you do? Because you, you, you talk about comedy wrestling and and kind of the art of it and how you perform it and blah blah blah. When you're bombing, because like one of the things that like Norton always asks when we have like an SNL or a sketch performer in studio, like Norton's mind gets boggled because. Jim does stand up everywhere, but one of the things he likes about stand up is when some when a joke's not working, you can acknowledge it to the crowd, yeah. and you can kind of own it and talk and experience that with them, and then take that energy to get out of it. Mm-hmm. And you can't do that with sketch, or you can't do that with SNL. You have to stay in character. So, like when you're doing comedy wrestling, yeah, and you're bombing, suspension of disbelief is like kind of key in wrestling. Yeah, so like how on earth? And there's a scene in this movie where we. Start bombing. Where I bomb, yeah. and I have two hecklers. I don't bomb because the the, the the match is fun, but these two guys are ruining the match. Right. And I this is why I love – I don't know if I love Jack. This is why I like Jack a lot. <laughs> <laughs> because in my head, this movie was going to be out, be about all the comedy stuff, us being hilarious. It was going to be my – this was going to be my album, uh-huh. my best of jokes. On a comedy album, you only put the best of ones. You don't, right. put, the, you don't put the bombers on. Right. There. But – when, you, re- you record a couple shows to yeah, make sure you get the course. real sweet one. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when I saw the final product and, I, and he had put this thing in, that's when I realized, like, no, this isn't my best of. This is a documentary. This is a movie. Yes. And you show the ups and downs. And so it shows a scene. There is a scene where these two guys have just have gotten on my nerves and they've taken over a match. And, like, I try, I'm fighting it. And you watch me fight it, and you see me afterwards, like talk to the camera about how it kind of rattled me a little bit and it threw me off my game. And and so we're we're in the middle somewhere because Jim can attack it and turn the room. Sketch and those guys can't; they have to stick within their thing. Mm-hmm. I'm like sort of like right. I have to keep my suspension of disbelief, but I can also go after them. But these two like weren't turnable. It was real super interesting. So usually my theory is to go is. Is to cut it off at the nuts. Yeah. Probably what Jim does, I assume, is like once you see people – a lot of people will ignore. I will attack. Yes. I will attack and I will – my goal is I, tur- I want to turn – I guess it's the same as stand-up. I want to turn the whole room against those people so yep. they are embarrassed now for what they did and they won't do it anymore because they know they'll just get – but sometimes there's those guys. And that's the difference between stand-up and wrestling is that if, if those two guys keep it up, they will escort them out the building. Yes, in stand up, but in wrestling, you paid to be a part right. of the show. They pay for tickets. You'd be right, you're, and we're, we're encouraging boos and yays. Yeah, and there's there was the TNA heel section. Yeah, you know, and that was encouraged to boo the good guys, and it's a thing that we've allowed in wrestling, which I, you know, I. I guess yeah. It is what it is. It is it's what part it of is. it. Yeah. It's part of it. So like they're gonna stay forever. So you, it's almost like you have to chip at them and chip at them until that finally it turns, and then you've wasted your whole match. Or you know, and that is, is like I think I just kind of middle the beginning of the match. I still was trying to get at them, but I just couldn't turn them. They were still drunk. They were so just drunk, and like we're our own. Like everybody, look at us. That uh, I didn't want to waste the whole match, so I did end up just kind of like ignoring them, and they were still being dickheads. 
But that's the difference with stand up. In stand up, you can kick them out. Wrestling, we can't kick them out. Yeah, can't, we can't kick them out for going. being fans. Right. Yeah. Right. And and I'm I don't know. I'm on both sides because like I am like yeah you paid yeah I have all the time of your life. But I'm also like this. Uh, sometimes the thing I use is like you wouldn't go to like a uh, you wouldn't go to Hamilton and boo Hamilton. Right. Or you know well, there's a fine line between like cheering and booing who you want and like. Trying to take the show take over, take the and show over, it. yeah, but yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think that that's that's the difference when you're not when you're not cheering and booing the show you're watching, and your your reactions aren't even legitimate. Mm. You're just kind of either trying to be an asshole or you're booing creative, or you know what I mean? Right, like it's right. Not, you're not really focusing on the show anymore. Then it's like you're you're ruining it. For and other essentially, people. you've you've lost your suspension. You've taken your own suspension of disbelief away. You've refused it. You, you refused, won't. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man, this has been good, dude. Yeah, uh, uh, you can get uh, Colt's movie Wrestling Road Diaries three at coltmerch.com. You can get it on DVD and digital there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so definitely, uh, definitely get it. And it's another one of these things where it's like, even if you like it like a little bit, or you think you might like it, it's worth supporting because uh, it's it's truly Colt is as as independent. As one can get, and you'll see, and you'll see the uh, the one two three kid singlet that he's got yeah. in his apartment. I don't even think it was addressed, but the old school WWF turnbuckle that's on the wall, yeah. like it's you, you're like, oh yeah, Colt really is like, a, like a wrestling fan. Yeah, like, like he's still a wrestling. You fan. You don't see a lot of it. There's some weird stuff in there. Like I have this Mark Rollerball Rocco headband that was signed to me. Uh, I have like a I wrestle Johnny Saint. There's a poster of me and Johnny, but I don't overdo it. It's not like ridic- It's not like no. Saying, it's not like Chris Hero who you had on the show. It's not like his apartment. Sometimes. He is like. So much stuff. Does he? Oh, my God. So, like, I tried to be normal, like, where I could bring a lady over, I feel. Like, right. Who is it in wrestling? I just have a couple special yeah, things. Yeah, but, like, they're kind of, like, quirky, too. Yeah. You know, like, the idea of that turnbuckle, I think it's kind of quirky. Um, but also, the, here's the thing I've been saying, too, is that, um, right, like, maybe you're not, you're just a casual fan of mine or whatever. Maybe you just heard the name, right? But uh, in 2009, when I put this, 2011, when we shot, or when we put this on, like, Independent wrestling was just like a word you heard. No one really knew the inside. Like no one really knew like the real world of it. And now that NXT has become hot, independent wrestling hot topic, uh, that like people like now like go back. And I don't mean hot topic like it's a hot topic like they, that's the store hot topic. And oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. you didn't get that. And I was no. like, I thought that was a good joke. But no. that's, I thought you meant NXT has made it a hot topic. No, 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 no. no NXT is the hot topic it's, of independent it's wrestling. Literally the hot. That's topic. like brilliant. Yes, yeah, and that's not mine. That's Chuck Taylor's. I'll that's great. Him. I steal a lot from Chuck Taylor. I feel bad too. He's great. He's one of these underrated guys. who's on the scene too. But so people are now like, oh, that's Cruiserweight. This is, these guys came from there, so people know about it. But this was like a real look at like how it really, really worked in depth. And so this is, and you you can get the network, and you can watch Ride Along, which is a produced fake thing, and you can watch, you know, and like this isn't me harping on it, but this is just me telling the difference between, yeah, maybe you think you see a wrestling documentary. And they're great, but like this is a different side of the world of how it's done. This is like this is, and I wouldn't even say the true indie world of how it's done because when Daniel Brian Daniel, Daniel Brian and I made that, we were kind of bigger stars. So like, had I recorded it in two thousand in two thousand when I was at my scrubbiest, right. it'd be a different story. But we but do also, show the side of it, like, and it is from the wrestler's perspective, mm-hmm. which the other stuff isn't, just because it's other people doing it, right? Yeah. Um, so for that reason, if you're into documentaries and you want, and you want to see this world that like, yeah, I'm in, but also it's just like, you really get to see this world. Yes. And there's so many gems. Like I just think of the first one, 
we wrestle at this place with like a drag a, a dragon roller skate like <laughs> place uh you know for AIW and we wrestle you know dragon uh, Brian da- Daniel Bryan wrestles in front of, like I wrestled Tommaso Ciampa in front of 70 people uh-huh. and Brian wrestles this guy in front of you know 70 people and there's somebody's birthday and it's just like they end up singing happy birthday to people it's just like so independent wrestling yeah. which is what I like you know that's like Triple H be like oh they sing in but they sing happy birthday to each other it's like Ugh. but like for me it's like oh they sing happy like it's so <laughs> cool it's such a shit show yeah. and I love it and like thankfully I'm at a place where like right like I've done all these things where I'm like independent like good that I can like really really appreciate like the weirder for me the better yeah and that's why I, I love independent wrestling and that's why like this is these movies are like my love letters and it does it does spread because Cody Rhodes when he was on the podcast I don't know if you heard it he said that he we did it in Rawway at, yeah. the, at the Pat Buck show that he did and uh Russell Pro Russell Pro show that he did <laughs> <laughs> the Russell Pro- online is Pat Buck uh, doc, or doc, oh, never <laughs> yeah the Russell Pro show that uh that Cody Rhodes was at and he said that all he wants to do like he's he's filling out his list but what he want really wants to do is one of these tiny little indie shit shows that cult always talks about. Oh, right? Oh, yeah. nice. Yeah. That's what he said. You want to experience it's just such – because these guys just go to arena after arena after arena. And, like, yeah, it's the dream and, and probably where everyone wants to be. But it is just, like, after a while, they just all look like the same arenas. And the idea when, like, Punk was just like, oh, I went out and wrestled Undertaker. And I was like, I don't care. And it's just like, oh, you're in front of, like, 72,000 people in this arena. Like, that comes to a point where, like, oh, like, it just becomes a thing. And so it's like so this is crazy. So- <laughs> I, I swear, I listened to that podcast, the, your podcast with him. I heard him say that, and then I went back because I had interviewed Punk two days before the Undertaker mm-hmm. match at Radio Row. Yeah, and I rewatched it, knowing that that was his mentality, and I was like, "Oh my god, he Did really." You see it? Yeah, absolutely. That's it's so-, so clear. And wow. I told people, listen to your podcast and go back and watch that interview because you can just see it in his face. And you know, because we had known each other for a little while, mm-hmm. so I think he was being. I mean, and maybe he was like this in every interview, but I think. He was like maybe a little more honest with me because right. we kind of had we got a along. connection yeah. yeah yeah and he knows he was a real person right yeah, right and he knows that I treat him like a real person right. not yeah. like you know but yeah I totally saw it and I was like man that that could happen mm. it's just and you weren't even aware of it I wasn't the guys I, are so saved you he did <laughs> he did he did yeah and um, so so in saying that like I and I have the show on Howell.fm and you go to Howell.fm slash Colt. Uh, and, and listen for a free month. It's called Pro Wrestling Fringe, and it's about the weird. I, it's a storytelling podcast I do, uh, and it is behind a paywall. But you can get a free month if you just and you can listen to a free one on Howl dot FM slash Colt. And um, and I tell weird stories about like one. I tell uh, there's a company called Dog Legs that's just handicapped pro wrestlers, and I tell a story about uh, the wrestling bear. And I tell a story about the French Angel, uh, you know, who had uh, the deformation like Andre the Giant kind of did. Um, all these weird stories, but in in my opening, I always say like I'm I have the weirdest and most unique resume, and I talk about the places I've been that I've wrestled for the Inuits in northern Canada. <laughs> I've wrestled on the border towns of Mexico. I've wrestled at fat camps. Uh, I've wrestled for the Yakuza in Japan, and I just had all these like I wrestled for the Insane Clown Posse, the Gathering of the Juggalos. It's just I have this weird, weird resume, and then and that's what I love about independent wrestling is that I've just done these weird. weird th- I wrestled for a company called Bloody Midgets <laughs> when I was a allowed to say that word you know like, yeah yeah uh, it's some weird stuff man well uh next time you got something to push hard we'll have to do this again because i'll ask you all of those stories oh yeah, yeah sure definitely but yeah and like obviously this was such a fun easy conversation yeah so i, I think we have a nice uh, rapport i think but so we've too. known each other for so long now, yeah so yeah and uh, it was a lot of fun I'm glad we finally did it thanks man thank you here is sam roberts 
Colt Cabana, and I recommend getting his movie, Wrestling Road Diaries Part 3, if only because you get to see his apartment, you get to see the cool memorabilia he has in it, and you get to see that uh, that you get to see the audio setup where his podcast is recorded. He's got a little soundproof box over his microphone. You got to see it. For nerds like me, and I'm assuming a lot of you guys are wrestling nerds the way I am, uh, it's definitely something worth checking out. It's got all these little details when you pay attention to things that are just uh, uh, endlessly, endlessly interesting. So thanks a lot to Colt Cabana. Uh, You know, I I tweeted about it, and I kind of want to mention it on the podcast for the same reason that I mentioned a few weeks ago that I was obsessed with reading those Wrestling Observer uh, synopsi on the the wrestling on the Squared Circle subreddit. I have to tell you, my new wrestling thing, and I don't know, if you guys want me to start talking more old school wrestling on this podcast, please tell me. If you want me to come on here and really do 20 minutes of analysis on Survivor Series 93, I will because the stuff I watched when I was a kid is just ingrained into my head. I was re-watching that. I was re-watching a bunch of ECW stuff this week with the uh, uh, un- with authorized, untold, whatever it was, documentary or, or, or sit-down conversation that was really, really good and Corey Graves did an awesome job that they put on WWE Network this week. So if you want me to talk about, like, old stuff that I'm watching at home here on the podcast, let me know. Tweet me at NotSam, and let me know if you want me to talk about the old stuff that I'm watching, or if you, as well as everything else we do on the podcast, or if you just want me to leave this podcast alone. But in terms of podcasts, I don't have time to listen to a lot of them. I do this show. I do the SiriusXM show. I'm all over the place. I got, I got, I got a lot of irons in the fire, as they say, but... I have started listening to a new wrestling podcast, Bruce Pritchard's show, uh, Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard, which I like. Uh, I I love that show. So Bruce Pritchard was with WWE for a very long time, through multiple eras and decades. And he and his co-host, uh, Conrad, go through a specific... And this isn't a live read, it's just I enjoy the show and wanted to share it with you. Um, they go through one topic in the world of pro wrestling, whether it's Brian Pillman, whether it's the Mega Powers colliding, whatever it is, something that Bruce Pritchard was there for and part of the creative process for. And they go over it in in painstaking detail. Uh, And it's great. It's great. You know, Bruce Pritchard was part of the three-person creative team when it was Vince McMahon, Pat Patterson, and Bruce Pritchard. And Conrad is awesome at asking the questions. Anybody that's like a dork for wrestling documentaries – like I am, like if you have everything WWE ever puts out, if you're searching Netflix for other ones, these are like little podcast documentaries where just it's just question after question after question about the specifics of like the Lex Express or whatever. So if you're, I mean, if you got a couple extra hours a week to fill, don't stop listening to this podcast for that one. I don't think you should have to. But if you listen to this one and then you listen to Colt's podcast, and you got a couple extra hours every week. Uh, give that one a try. Something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Uh, let's start the state of wrestling this week because there's a lot, even though I put out that bonus show and if you want my immediate opinions on the Goldberg, uh, victory over Brock Lesnar, then, uh, download the show that came out on Monday on Sunday night because it's worth a listen. I think I also put it on YouTube. If you don't want to download it, you just go over to the not Sam YouTube page, but there's still a lot to talk about. We didn't even come close to covering everything then. And it's been days since then stuff's happened. Let's talk about that stuff in the state of wrestling. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. Now look, we all know how I felt about the Goldberg 
victory over Brock Lesnar that was discussed in detail on a special bonus State of Wrestling podcast that went out on Sunday night right after Survivor Series. And it's always a risk putting those things out immediately after something happens because when something happens, we react emotionally without thinking about what's coming next, why this is happening, etc. And I, I mean, I took a pause and thought about where this because I think it it struck me off guard. I think it struck everybody off guard when Goldberg beat Brock Lesnar, especially as quickly as he did. But I was having a conversation with a coworker about it, and at the end of the day, and and a lot of this I went over on the State of Wrestling bonus. But at the end of the day, you have not Brock Lesnar wasn't killed, wasn't destroyed, the legacy. The streak ender, none of that was ruined by what happened at Survivor Series. And truth be told, if Kevin Owens in the future were to beat Brock Lesnar, even if it were as soon as the Royal Rumble or WrestleMania, if Kevin Owens were to get a victory over Brock Lesnar, it would not feel any less special today than if he hadn't lost to Goldberg, especially if he gets a couple more victories before Kevin Owens. If anyone on the current roster gets a win over Brock Lesnar, uh, it's not less special because Brock lost to Goldberg. It just isn't. And when we think about it and the way it would have been, the way it will be built and the way the story will be told in the match and the way it will still catch us off guard, it won't, it won't be worse. You know, it's like beating the Undertaker at WrestleMania. If you do it now, it's still an extremely substantial deal which is why The Undertaker's WrestleMania matches are still very important. And now you're dealing with the WWE where Goldberg and Brock Lesnar both are on the table. Goldberg and Brock Lesnar are both entities. When Sting came back, it was cool, but it was a specialty. You know what I mean? It was always this thing of like, yeah, I'll watch Sting because it'd be cool to see him wrestle again. Not, yeah, because he's a monster. And I don't know anyone that can stop this guy. Maybe it would have gotten there. I don't know. You know, the injury, whatever. But that's how Sting was. It was cool to see him. But he didn't pose a threat to WWE. And aside from being curious about watching this guy wrestle, it wasn't the same thing as what The Undertaker is, as what Goldberg, as what Brock Lesnar is, and what Goldberg will be. I sent out a tweet. And, and wow, big shocker. Nobody nobody admits it either. You know, so many people were still, for some reason, I told you on the podcast before Survivor Series, it was painfully obvious to me that Goldberg would be doing more than just Survivor Series. No matter what anybody said, no matter how it was advertised, of course Goldberg would do more than just wrestle at Survivor Series. And when he won against Brock Lesnar, it became even more obvious. Uh, people were still insisting the WWE just had no clue what they were doing. Yeah, that's how you stay in business for almost 40 years. Just not have a clue what you're doing. Uh, and that and that Goldberg was just there as a one-off and they just wanted to give him what he wanted. And It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. So, no huge shocker. Goldberg announced as an entrant in the Royal Rumble match. And what makes this era so cool, and I sent out a tweet about it and some of you agreed and some of you disagreed and I think took it a little bit out of context but I'll explain it because the criticism is fair but I'll explain it 
so that hopefully it will reduce that criticism. Normally, in years past, if Goldberg announces he's going to be in the Royal Rumble, Goldberg is winning the Royal Rumble, right? That's the way it works. When The Rock goes, I want a title shot at the Royal Rumble against CM Punk, we go, okay. So The Rock goes into WrestleMania with the championship. Got it. Understood. Some things are a given. Because of the way WWE has set this whole thing up, Goldberg winning the Royal Rumble is far from a given. It just isn't, okay? You're looking at the potential in 2017 of having a Royal Rumble that includes John Cena, The Undertaker, Goldberg, and Brock Lesnar. All four of those names could be in the Royal Rumble match. And I was talking about how exciting it is leading into this year's Royal Rumble and how, honestly, it makes 2017 look like an amazing year as a wrestling fan. And I got a little bit of flack for that because... They said, yeah, just make it 2002 all over again because a lot of the guys are older. And I get that criticism. Trust me. But – and I, I didn't mention it in the tweet. When I tell you John Cena, Undertaker, Goldberg, and Brock Lesnar are in this Royal Rumble match, that it goes without saying that they're going to be joined by Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns and Dean Ambrose and AJ Styles – potentially Finn Balor, potentially Shinsuke Nakamura, potentially Samoa Joe, all these names thrown into a Royal Rumble match. And you've actually got a Rumble where you can have a real discussion as to who's going to win. You've actually got a Rumble where it's not obvious the guy that's going to win this thing. Maybe Goldberg and Brock Lesnar eliminate each other so they can set up for a rematch at WrestleMania. Maybe they're not going to have their rematch at WrestleMania. Maybe uh, Goldberg wins the Rumble and John Cena wins the title. So you can set up. That's the match I honestly want to see. I want to see a John Cena-Goldberg match. Maybe that's what you set up. Maybe maybe Goldberg eliminates The Undertaker and Brock Lesnar eliminates Goldberg, and then you've got a triple threat, or you've got Goldberg versus The Undertaker, or you got, there's a lot of possibilities. Maybe Kevin Owens is going to win. you got Jericho in the Rumble. Maybe he's going to win. What if The Miz wins the Royal Rumble? You know, it's like all these possibilities. You, we weren't expecting to see the Wyatts be the final two members at Survivor Series, be the winning two members of the Survivor Series SmackDown team. Maybe Randy Orton or Bray Wyatt are going to win the Royal Rumble. It's just like to have those four names, The Undertaker, John Cena, Brock Lesnar, and Goldberg at play for a Royal Rumble match and then add in all the sensational guys that are on the active roster, then guess what? You're dealing with something that's pretty freaking special. And and that's how I feel going into this year. Like, you've just got so much at play now. And yeah, I'd be just as happy to see a Samoa Joe versus Goldberg match. Wait, who knows? You could go into WrestleMania, Nakamura versus Brock Lesnar, Samoa Joe versus Goldberg, Undertaker versus Cena. Like, we're now finally in a position where we can talk about this stuff. And it's super cool. And the reason that conversation is possible is because of the way... Goldberg beat Brock Lesnar. So I'm excited about it, and I'm excited about the fact that Goldberg is in the Royal Rumble just because of the amount 
of possibilities and the amount of names that are now associated with this thing that we call WWE. Uh, let's talk about TakeOver. We didn't talk about TakeOver on the bonus uh, podcast, obviously, because that was focused on reacting to what had just happened. But no huge surprise. TakeOver was sensational. TakeOver Toronto. Um, and I went to the live show, the NXT live show, last Wednesday at the theater at Madison Square Garden. Uh, people were super into it. It's a very, very fun show. Shane McMahon, I was a few rows behind Shane McMahon there on that side of the ring. Shane was in the front row with my buddy Pete Gass. Uh, it was a super cool show. Uh, NXT has certainly morphed into what maybe it was always intended to be and maybe what it's just kind of grown into, which is an indie super show. You know, it's it's not necessarily... For a minute, it was when when it was a rule of thumb that if you got signed to WWE, you were going to NXT. Then it was interesting because then you had, and that's where you get your Sami Zayn's and Kevin Owens and Finn Balor's, and it's interesting. And you've got, I, I personally, I like it better that way. I like Finn Balor and Kevin Owens and those guys like. Not only going through NXT, but giving us amazing matches at TakeOver and then giving us something to look forward to in terms of, oh, when do you think they're coming up? When do you think they're coming up? That conversation has had a little bit now, but now there's this feeling that like Samoa Joe and Bobby Roode and guys like that may never come up. Maybe they're just NXT guys. So I think that it, it, was, it was fun, the last class of NXT when it was more like even the experienced guys, we know they're coming to WWE eventually and then we can have that conversation. I understand why it's done because you're signing guys that are older. You know, you're signing guys that are deep into their 30s and you don't have time to develop them. They're done being developed. So what are we going to do with them? Well, we don't really have a spot for them on WWE TV at the moment. Let's, let's create a, a touring brand with them. And that's where that's where NXT is right now, I think. Um, I'm sure Nakamura will make it to the main roster, though. It's fun to watch now because there are a few people. Like, uh, uh, there are still a few special performers. I think based not only on the live show, but really based on TakeOver. I'll tell you what I got from the live show. And then I'll tell you what I got from TakeOver. And, and some of it's a repetition. But the thing that I got from the live show specifically was... Uh, Daria from Tough Enough is just such a quick learner. She is so cool to watch. She feels so different from the rest of the roster, uh, the women's roster there in NXT. Uh, She's got the MMA thing going, and she's got a legitimate history with MMA, but she's got an obvious respect for pro wrestling and knowledge base and everything. Uh, I, I think Daria, of all the women that are down there right now has the best shot at making a major impact in WWE. Like that's one that I'm really looking forward to seeing come up to raw or come up to SmackDown. Uh, I, I getting to the takeover show. It goes without saying that the two out of three falls tag match between the revival and DIY was absolutely spectacular. And while I would not take anything away from uh, Chiampa and and Johnny Gargano, the Revival might be the best tag team in wrestling. 
And that's Young Bucks. I love you guys. The Revival might be the best tag team in wrestling. Uh, in terms of pure tag teams. Believable. They're a throwback to the tag team specialists. You know, like you're not, it's not just two guys that were put together and you're waiting for them to separate or separate again. It's a tag team. It's a unit. You're, 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 you're being given that. American Alpha is another example of tag team specialists. But even American Alpha, you're kind of thinking like, oh, one of these guys going to have single runs, blah, blah, blah. Dash and Dawson don't need to ever have singles runs as far as I'm concerned because they are that good as a tag team. It's my favorite tag team to watch. And I told you uh, during draft time a few months ago, back in July, I said that I would imagine the Revival would get drafted. And I was almost, I was surprised, honestly. I would have thought, I would have drafted the Revival instead of American Alpha. Not because American Alpha is not amazing, because they are, but because the Revival would have been a surprise. The Revival is, uh, uh, when American Alpha was in NXT, the revival was almost shadowed by them unfairly because American Alpha is flashy and American Alpha is <coughs> excuse me American Alpha is spectacular so to see I, I, it's good for the revival that they're gone because the revival has really had a chance to shine but those are guys that I can't wait to get on the main roster they deserve they need to be on the main roster now they deserve to be there I love that SmackDown is incorporating the Headbangers and the Spirit Squad and all of them. But if you need teams, you don't need to go back. Look forward and look no further than the Revival. The DIY was uh, incredible at TakeOver. But that was, to me, TakeOver was, if, if one superstar or tag team can be credited with that being their night, even though they lost, that was the Revival's night. Takeover to me was the revival's night. Two things I took away from Takeover: number one, that the revival had the night of the, a career-making evening. Number two, there are a lot of great matches that NXT has put together. When Finn Balor and Kevin Owens were on their series of matches, I was always entertained by it. But by the time they got to Brooklyn, there was something about that match where I was at least, and it was good that it was a ladder match, so it was a little different. But I was at least ready for a refresher. You know what I mean? I wasn't done with either of them because they're two of my favorite wrestlers of all time. But I was ready to see both of them work with different people. I came to the realization watching TakeOver over the weekend that I could watch Nakamura and Samoa Joe forever. And maybe it's just I could watch – a like, uh, you know, I go back to TakeOver in uh, wherever – in Dallas – and the matches separately that Samoa Joe and Nakamura had were incredible. But watching them together, I mean, it just, it always feels so intense. It feels so real. It feels like we are fighting for something here. And this is different. And this is real life. And it's just so fun and dramatic. There's a story being told. I know it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a thing to talk about. But honestly... There's not that many matches that tell stories in the ring. I know when you like wrestlers are you well when we're wrestlers we tell stories in the ring. Most wrestlers don't tell stories in the ring. Stories are told over a series of matches, but the match itself seldom tells a story. It's supposed to. Triple H is really good at telling a story in his matches, but most guys 
are good at just putting on fun matches. They don't necessarily tell a story. Samoa Joe and Nakamura always, always, not only put on a clinic as far as wrestling goes, but tell my favorite stories ever. It is so great watching those two wrestle. And if I found out that every takeover in 2017 was going to be headlined by Samoa Joe and Nakamura, you have me subscribed to the network for a year. I'll watch every one of them. I'll watch it in January. I'll watch it in March. I'll watch it in August. I'll watch it in November. I'm assuming at some point you'll have another takeover in in full sale, and I will watch that one too. You don't even need to add stipulations. You can. I'd love to see him in a cage match. I'd love to see him in a ladder match. I'd love to see him in a box. I'd love to see him with a fox. I'd love to see him in bed. I'd love to see them on my head. I love, I love Nakamura and Samoa Joe wrestling each other. It's great. It's great. So I was super happy uh, with TakeOver. Bobby Roode's entrance was super dope. You know, we talked about that on the podcast last week with Bobby Roode. That was not a disappointment. I'll tell you, they're hyping up Nakamura's entrance a lot. But let me tell you something. If I'm running that company, I'm watching that entrance. And I am never hiring that blonde playing the violin ever again. Boy, did she turn it into the blonde playing the violin show. Did you see her? Nakamura's trying to do her thing. And all the other violinists are kind of backing away from him. By the way, it didn't look like they were playing along with the song, but that's neither here nor there. All the other violinists, if that's what they're called, violists, they all backed away from him. This one blonde is like trying to match his intensity, if not get more of it, and she's leaning over him. Like, oh, I'm being drawn to you. Like, lady, you're there to play the violin. We don't need the show to come from you. Shinsuke's in the ring, dude. That's the the most charismatic guy you're ever going to meet. See the guy with the red leather pants? That's where we're looking. Stop getting in his shot. I would have been so pissed running that show if that blonde violist kept trying to make it about herself. She really did. She really did keep trying to make it about herself. She was trying to take her moment. Well, guess what? I prefer the, the last takeover entrance when Nakamura just had that one guy playing violin for him. That I was okay with. I didn't even mind the multiple violists. But, I think I made that word up, but I don't think so. But, I was really annoyed with that blonde lady. I really, I was watching it going like, all right, lady, we got it. You play violin. I can't do it. No. But that doesn't mean you need to take Nakamura's shine away from him. Right? I couldn't have been the only one that noticed that. I couldn't have been. Uh, But they did a great job with the show. They did a very, very good job with the show. Uh, uh, Survivor Series, are you barking right now? She's barking at nothing. She's literally barking at nothing because my wife keeps giving Lila different toys that don't squeak because she's quiet as a mouse all day. The minute I turn my mic on, she's like, oh, good. We're making noise now. Um, Survivor Series was, uh, was good. Survivor Series, uh, the whole – and some people argued with me, which surprised me. I thought the whole show was pretty great from top to bottom. You know, I thought everything, again, back to storytelling, I thought there was uh, rhyme and reason for everything. I thought a lot of stuff was surprising. Every match had some kind of twist that I didn't necessarily see coming. You know, I think uh, Dean Ambrose and Baron Corbin, I'll tell you this about SmackDown. They may be giving their wrestlers more freedom, but there is no discipline on that show. There is not an ounce of discipline on that show. Dean Ambrose and Baron Corbin are literally doing whatever they want. 
Dean Ambrose should be suspended, not only for what he did at Survivor Series, just beating up AJ Styles, but for not listening to Shane McMahon. Dean Ambrose needs to be suspended immediately. And Baron Corbin, I love the guy. I'm Daniel Bryan. He's suspended too. I'll suspend everybody. If I went in, they made me general manager of SmackDown. Oh, I'd be handing out suspensions like Fandango and Tyler Breeze pass out fashion police tickets. Okay? That's how quick I'd be passing out suspensions. All over the place. I would command respect. Daniel Bryan and Shane McMahon have got to do better about commanding respect. See the way Dean Ambrose was pushing around Shane McMahon on SmackDown? Oh, that wouldn't fly with me. No. I told you to knock it off. What's my last name again? McMahon? Yeah, maybe you should listen to me. I know you're a lunatic fringe and whatever, but I'll put you on the fringe of this building. You'll never come back in. Lock the door. Damn it. Lock the door. And don't let that guy back in. I SmackDown needs to needs to have some discipline. Um you know, I I love all the I love all the 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 way the Miz's matches are ending and the Miz is becoming this character that's just really really good at winning matches. Whatever way possible, he's just good at winning, which is good, I think, for especially for a bad guy. And it's been a long time since there was a really effective bad guy, and there's two of them on SmackDown, The Miz and Baron Corbin. And anybody that doesn't believe Baron Corbin is an amazing bad guy, watch ta- Talking Smack this week. Baron Corbin knocked it out of the park again. Again. Baron Corbin just annihilates on that show because he gets to be himself. It's super good. He's just, I'm so high on Baron Corbin right now. You have no idea. Well, maybe you have some idea because you listen to the show, but uh, uh, I don't think. I cannot overstate how happy I am with Baron Corbin as a bad guy. He just lacks discipline. That's all. He just lacks discipline. Um, oh, I'll tell you, one of, the, one of the interesting things, first of all, before I completely leave uh, NXT TakeOver, I just uh, recalled something. WWE is next level with merchandising. The fact that the main event for Survivor Series and the, the, the moment of the night that is going to lead them into a year or more worth of programming is based on their video game is incredible. What a commercial for a video game. And just when you think they're done merchandising, Mattel puts out a playset where it's a little cage hanging above the ring, the crash cage or whatever. Not only do they use that to make a match, and they, and they haven't done a manager in a cage since freaking Paul Bearer in Survivor Series 96. But not only do they use that opportunity to put Paul Ellering in a cage above the ring, but that structure was built exactly like the toy. That has never happened before. The toy was out first. And they built this structure like a big version of the toy. Did you see it had the, the, the wind-up wheel on the side of it? Did you see it had a giant man size it was literally the size of a person wind up handle on the size of this on the side of this structure that was holding up the cage it had no purpose to it whatsoever except to sell toys they could have easily hung that cage directly from the ceiling but they actually built a structure to look just like the toy that is the type of investment and the type of attention to detail that will that, that makes WWE what WWE is that's that winning mentality. That's that. Uh, there is no laziness going on there. It's detail, baby. Detail. It's it's very very impressive. Um, so then, yeah. So so I liked just about everything at Survivor Series. I flipped out seeing the Wyatts 
and Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton being the the survivors of that Survivor Series match. By the way, this might be something for buyer. I, I don't remember who said it. But if two people survive at Survivor Series, they're not the sole survivors. There's two of you. You're not exactly sole. I have no idea what you're saying right now. You're not sole, sole, as in one. Not S-O-U-L. Not like they're the, hey, daddy, I got a, these, these survivors got a lot of soul, baby. No, that's not what it is. It's soul, S-O-L-E. There is one of them. They're solo, sole survivor. Individual survivor, the lone survivor. Who would have thought Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton would be the two lone survivors? No, you can't be sole next to somebody. Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton were the survivors, not the sole survivors. So, but I was thrilled to see it. I was thrilled to see it. The only thing that made me more thrilled than any of that, any of that, was sitting there. And to those of you, I didn't run the interview on the podcast. Maybe I will, just so you can all see. But if you go to youtube.com slash Jim and Sam show, you can watch the video of Natalia, Natty Neidhart, on my Sirius XM radio show, on the morning show. She came in uh, the Wednesday before Survivor Series to promote Total Divas. And I told her, I told her what I've been saying on the podcast. I wanted a Nancy Kerrigan storyline where Natty takes out one of the people in the match so that she can be in the match. I told her that. And what happens? Looks like the coach took some coaching. I was so happy to watch my storyline come to fruition. It felt so rewarding. Unless they flip it. Unless they find out that I'm the one who's taking credit for this thing. And if they, I mean, look, here's what's going to happen. Either way, you know I thought of it. If Natty is the one responsible for it, I thought of it. And if the other option happens, it's because they want to cover it. The other option obviously being that Rikishi was the one who jumped Nikki Bella. And they'll say, Rikishi, why did you do it? And you know what he'll say? I did it for The Rock. (laughs) Talk about a storyline that went nowhere. So happy to watch that thing come to fruition. Uh, A couple good moments on Raw. Now, I know I've been saying you have to separate Chris Jericho and Kevin Owens, but I feel like I was presented with that reality on Raw this week for a moment, and I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. I was very, very happy when the two best friends that anyone could have reunited when they announced. And, And you knew it was coming, but you didn't want to spoil it even for yourself. It just felt so good. I'm excited. I think I, uh, Jericho and Owens, I am not ready to separate them. I said I was. I'm not. I had a taste of it, and I didn't like the taste. I'm not ready for it, but it was a really good, really. Kevin Owens was amazing with Tom Phillips on the pre-show. Shout-outs to Mike Mansuri, who was producing that thing and got name-dropped like 50,000 times. Um, but he was great on uh, on on that. He was great at Survivor Series, and then the... the, the uh, Talk is Jericho, whatever is his. I'm blanking on the name of his talk show on Raw, but that was awesome, awesome, awesome segment with the two of them on Raw, and it set up a fantastic match. What a main event! What a main event for Raw. I really enjoyed the Seth Rollins Kevin Owens no hold barred match. It, it felt like an old school Seth Rollins. It felt like the Shield Seth Rollins again, and it was it and and that 
was nice to be reminded of. For the first time, it was like, oh, yeah. Before Seth Rollins was like a weaselly bad guy, he was a super badass good guy. Or not even a good guy, really. He was just a super badass dude. Oh, yeah, I remember now. And that's what you got a taste of in the match on Raw, which I really enjoyed. Almost as much as I enjoyed seeing Chris Jericho, again, just tip his hat to the internet and run out there in a Sin Cara mask. Ah, the balls on this guy. The balls on this guy. I love it. You know what's interesting? Watching, and again, and I think this is happening unless I'm reading too far into it. It looks like the New Day may be shifting towards being bad guys again. I think that there's this recognition that it might be getting a little stale, the New Day Act. And based on the fact that they lost so quickly at Survivor Series and then had to be less than honest to beat Cesaro and Sheamus, uh, I think we're seeing a slow transition uh, to the New Day going back to being bad guys, which is what they were when they first started this gimmick. It wasn't when when they first, first started as just power of positivity guys in a black church New Day. They were good guys, of course, and that didn't work at all. But the New Day debuted as a... The New Day that we see here, being funny and wearing pink and all this stuff, that was in response to the fact that they were getting booed. So they were bad guys to begin with. And it's cool to see that that appears to be the direction that they're headed back into. Uh, I thought Raw was a a decent show. SmackDown was better again. SmackDown is just... A more fun show to watch. SmackDown is is unpredictable. SmackDown feels fresh and feels new. And it feels unpredictable. And it feels like I don't know where they're going, but they're going somewhere. It's not this this show that's more uh, laid out in front of us. You know, it doesn't feel formulaic at all. Um, everything I, I'm, I'm really enjoying. I, I, I did a little part of me. A little spoil sport in me is kind of like... I don't know. It should have been a little bit tougher than just having AJ Styles get his foot tied in the ropes for for Ellsworth to win that ladder match because it kind of felt like, even though Dean Ambrose interfered, that in that moment, Ellsworth could have seriously defeated AJ Styles because of a mistake AJ made or because of that super kick that ended up with him getting tied into the ropes. And that might be inching toward giving James Ellsworth a slightly too much credit I'm looking. You know what's going to be great? I think we're going to have a similar outcome and a similar feeling about AJ that we do now about Seth Rollins. I feel like at TLC, once we get past all this James Ellsworth stuff, we're going to get reminded of how amazing AJ Styles is again. And, and some of us don't need a reminder, but we're going to get reminded of how amazing he is. And I think he's going to put on a hell of a show with Dean Ambrose. I also think that finally, as much as Dolph Ziggler talks about stealing the show, I believe that The Miz versus Dolph Ziggler in a ladder match at TLC does have the potential to steal the show at that pay-per-view. They've been they've both been doing some of the best works of their careers. And that match could indeed steal the show. That's a lot a lot of information to pack into one state of wrestling. Oh, and speaking of American Alpha and the Wyatt family, perfect. Perfect for two reasons. Number one, they should go. I'm assuming they're going to go forward on it, and they should have them focus on each other. Because potentially, 
it keeps American Alpha out of the tag title scene. And it's important to keep American Alpha out of the tag title scene because the minute they're officially in there, they've got to be the tag team champions and they've got to keep the tag titles. So it's good to keep them out of it for now. And for them to have a nice long feud with the Wyatts, I think it's perfect for, for everybody involved. Uh, for the Orton Wyatts, is perfect for everyone involved. I'm, uh, I'm excited. But then again, I'm excited a lot. That's why. Whoa. Do you hear that? Do you guys hear that? Is that coming from downstairs? That is incredible. My God. Cole Cabana asked me when I was recording the interview with him off the air. He asked me uh, uh, if, he, if I edit the podcast. Because you'll watch Cole Cabana's movie, Wrestling Road Diaries 3. And you'll see that he lives by train tracks that go by his house. And he's like, yeah, I edit all the time. Like, I'm a big editor. Because I stop and I get the sounds out and everything. And I go, no. No, I don't edit at all. They want to see. You want to know what's going on in the house of Sam Roberts? Well, guess what? I have a schizophrenic man that lives below me, and he loves karaoke. That's the life. That's show business. That's what it's like to be a big-time star. You live above a schizophrenic man. God bless him. And I'm not saying that as a goof. He's, that's, he suffers from that ailment. Uh, who loves karaoke. That's what he does with his time. So I'm going to spend the rest of my evening listening to his karaoke reverbing off my floorboards. I want you to have a great Thanksgiving. If Thanksgiving is over by the time you're listening to this, I just want you to have a great day. How about that? Huh? And if you live uh, if you live in an apartment building and somebody lives above you, maybe watch the volume of the podcast. You don't need to share with everybody, all right? If they want to download it, they can download it too. We'll see you next week here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And subscribe for free to listen every week to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast.